Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 58. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Joined on the line by Cody Sabta. Coming off the heels of UFC 276. Was it UFC 276 last week? I believe that was the number. Yeah, that was the number. Sean Strickland. I mean, you should have taken that bet, Cody. (laughs) I should have. Oh, well. What a could have should have. Well, what was he thinking? Why... Why you're taking on Alex Pereira? Let's just stand there, up upright, hands low, and try to like kickbox with this guy. Like that's he never even shot a takedown in two and a half minutes. Never even tried to force him up against the cage in two and a half minutes. It was bad, Cody. You didn't take the bet, but uh, I got a a Mots Clamato. Um, Blood red, like my bankroll after getting swept off the board last week. Absolutely nasty. I I also took a shoey bet on Barbarina versus Lawler with a uh, with an account named CJ the Big C double underscore three. He kind of my burner. I swear he kind of showed up like after Barbarina had won. We never really formalized it. I'm just going to, like, set the record for now that, like, I'm not taking random shoey bets on... Uh, unless, like, you're, like, a well-established account, that type of thing. Because, like, this is... <laughs> I felt like the entire time I'm like, this guy could straight up just be free-rolling me. Like, he's only tweeted, like, three or four times. Could be anybody, really. Um, so, I got I to gotta draw the line with who I'm taking shoey bets with. I was going to do one for you. Obviously, mentioned the big C. Barbarina comes through round two, gets the finish. Still got uh, Lawler over his 73 and a half uh, prize picks, significant strikes. Prize picks weren't great for me last week, but. Uh, prize yeah. picks was fire, man. Like, that was a lot of fun, and the, things happened to fall in our favor. Ian Gary got to punch on a punching bag for 15 full minutes. Of course, he's going to get over 70 significant strikes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It was honestly a lot of fun for our first time out. So, for the people that took advantage of the situation, went up, signed up last week. We thank you, but also you were rewarded for that. So we'll talk about prize picks again this week, see if we can shake things up a little bit. And uh, I mean, don't feel bad about like a Mots Clamato shoe, which sounds absolutely It may not be a good idea. Kids, do not try this at home. And oh, there's <laughs> one guy on Twitter who like when I said I was going to follow through and do one for, for Sean Strickland, you know, embarrassing me and me being like so aggressive about it. Um, he's like, oh man, people don't really like the shoe. So in the comment section... Tell us if you're Team Shuey. Hashtag Team Shuey. Um, I imagine more people than just this one random account who says that people don't like the Shueys. I feel like people are still Team Shuey. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm completely out of the out of the mix here. You know what? The Shuey's always in like the first five minutes of the episode anyway. So you can just go to the timestamp and skip ahead to the first fight and go from there. So who I'm cares? Gonna... And if you want if you want to see a human being drink a beer out of a shoe, which I don't see how anybody doesn't like that. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. let me go one step further. You want to see a human being drink a Mott's Clamato. That was actually really good. Uh, <laughs> that actually was really That's good. That's hilarious. That was really good, actually. Well, that was get you fired easier, up, dude. Much easier than beer. There's no carbonation. Those seltzers, those seltzers are, it's a rough one every single time. That was actually quite delightful. Well, there's a lot of carbonation, right? At least that's just a nice little tomato and clam paste. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Clam. Pa- you Pat, enjoyed it. Got a, I, 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 I did feel 
I did feel some of your pain from last week, though, right? Because, again, we hit the top ticket. We hit the top two tickets. We would have hit a four-line banger if not for same culprit, Robbie Lawler. And my frustration, same as yours with Sean Strickland. This guy's got terrible takedown defense. He's been taken down multiple, and I mean multiple times, yeah. in all of his fights against lower-level guys, okay? So you win the first round. You allow him to punch himself out. Sure, it's a close round. He outstrikes you, but Robbie landed the better punch. It's fine. The second round, Robbie's winning the first three and a half minutes of the round. Now there's 90 seconds left, and this guy starts coming on like a steam engine. He starts just windmilling his hands like Bart Simpson in that episode when he's trying to eat the pie. If you get in the way, it's your own fault. Why not shoot the takedown? Why not wrestle him up against the cage? Why not take the momentum away? Nah, I'm just going to sit here and take the punches for a minute and a half. And it's his demise. So, you know, the saying traditionally is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? In this mm -hmm. case, it's like you can lead the fighter to the promise land, but you can't get him to shoot the take tap. Like, they're going to make their own game plans when they go in there. So, you and I, we, him and Hall, this guy could win theoretically if he does this, this, and this. But again, when the cage door closes and they get punched in the head a few times, yeah, maybe they do it. Maybe they don't. So, yeah, I was glad to be on the prayer side of things because at least we can all recognize that Sean Strickland is just a a dumb some bitch, right? I mean, he's just not exactly the <laughs> smartest guy. So he stood in front of him. Robbie's 40 years old, publicly stated he didn't want to get into a war. <laughs> and Got then went and, went and did it anyways. So anyways, you got to recognize those little moments. And there's a couple guys in this card, I, I, I think for the same reason, I just can't have the faith in them. And because I can't have the faith in them, I, I'm weary where I go with it, right? All right. Well, like the thing is, I want to bet a whole bunch of dogs this week, but I went, what, 0-6? I mean, if you count like the long props, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, oh, for eight. But like some of those are like 22 to one bets and stuff. It was like really yeah, like an O and O and a couple. O and know, five, really. Yeah. O and six. O and six. Let's go with O and six. Either way, lost thousands of dollars. Somehow managed to like 12x my, my prize picks money, which is absurd when you consider how bad I was from a betting perspective this past week. But uh, Pat, seems like you have something to say. Yeah, prize picks Pat, 1-0 on prize picks. So you won five times your money with the Pat Mayo prize picks play at the end of the show. Reminder, hit the description, go sign yes. up, get your deposit bonus of up to 100 bucks. Use that code DOP. Show the support for Paul and Cody. We're going to get you some more prize picks money this week. I'm feeling it. Thank you, Pat, for doing that because I was supposed to do that. <laughs> but I was so focused on... On the on the on the Clamato juice, um, not even juice, Clamato drink, and I totally forgot. Yeah, pro, uh, promo code DOP. Get in on the act. Get in on the action with Prize Picks Pat and Prize Picks Paul and Prize Picks Cody. All right, main event. We got Rafael Faziv taking on Rafael dos Anjos minus two twenty five Faziv plus one ninety. For RDA, who do you got in the battle of Raphael's, Cody? Yeah, well, again, I mean, if you're talking about guys that you don't want to have a whole lot of confidence in in the later stage of their careers, Raphael kind of feels, well, Raphael Dosano, sorry, feels like one of those guys, 37 years old, but the body's just got all types of mileage. But similar to a lot of these savvy veterans is that they're not above coming out and having a great performance in a fight. It's that can they continuously put a good run together? So, I mean, you look at him, he's, he's won his last two fights. He beat Paul Felder, a uh, good but not great fight. And, of course, Paul Felder's was was a decent enough fighter, so it's a credible victory. And then the last time against Hoinato Moicano, five rounds, absolute drubbing. You and I are heavy on him. I am very heavy on him anyways. And absolutely, completely deteriorates Moicano. But 
But the thing's about that performance, right? I mean, the guy's taking the fight on short notice. He doesn't have the takedown defense. He doesn't have the grappling prowess. He, he's kind of one and done with the striking. Like a guy like RDA can 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 pick a guy like that apart, right? So he looked great in that fight. And it looks like he's reinvigorated. And it looks like he's still a contender at this weight class. I just don't necessarily think he is. So how does this fight play out with Rafael Faziv? I think Faziv's got the advantage strength uh, with striking, right? I think he's got the better hands. He's got the better kicks. He's a little more elusive, right? He does a better job of covering up. The fact that it's five rounds, I think that plays towards Rafael Dos Anjos. Mm-hmm. But with Fazeev, like I think he's got enough cardio to hopefully secure himself three or four of the early rounds and then go into survival mode if need be. Takedown defense from Fazeev looks definitely on point. Physically very, very strong. Good hips. I think uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, good wrestling, but not elite level wrestling. And I don't know that he'd be able to just constantly pull him to the ground. And so if he gets stu- uh, stuck standing with them for a prolonged period of time, it should just be a kickboxing match. And if that's the case... Got to go with Rafael Fazeev. So when you're looking at the odds, of course, it doesn't look, you know, great. Like uh, you got minus 225 in Rafael Fazeev versus more of a proven commodity in Rafael Dos Anjos, a guy that you've seen fight five rounds in the past. A guy that's cardio is pretty good, especially at this weight class. I just think it's a generational thing. I think the, the passing of the torch is occurring. Fazeev is a top contender. Everything about him is, looks good. The momentarily lapses that he had early in his UFC career is put behind him. Takedown defense and grappling looks a lot better. He's putting it all together. And Rafael Dos Anjos, you know, a fine gatekeeper, but someone that the UFC is using and using his name and his former championship status to propel Fazeev potentially into a title fight. So <clears throat> give me uh, Rafael over Rafael. I'm actually leaning towards more of a dogger pass situation here. Um, one, because of the five rounds that you were talking about. And two, it's like, I don't know, you go through, like Fazeev's... Uh, Muay Thai is absolutely brilliant, like beautiful. Very, very nice. Like his ability to like, you know, his like getting out of the way of kicks, like just by moving his head is like second to none. It's really, really cool to look at. But like uh, the volume's not always there. It's like you go to like the the Brad Riddell fight. Like that was super competitive um, until he finished him in the third round. Bobby Green uh, out-volumed him 143 to 104. Uh, Fazeev still comes away with the victory in that spot. Uh, RDA has been very, very durable. And it seems like the people who really get the best of RDA tend to do it by being able to grapple him. Um, I don't think that Rafael Dos Anjos is able to, uh, sorry, is, uh, you know, in in a situation where he's going to absolutely maul this guy from wrestling. But Fazeev hasn't taken on anybody with decent wrestling, really, if you go through his UFC record here. Um, yeah, I just think it's uh, the price is a little bit too wide, and it's continuing to grow. So it's like I feel like by the time we get to fight time, I'm going to probably end up with an RDA ticket at like plus 200 or above. Plus 190 it is right there out on, out on the market right now. But I, I see the line moving. I think going to get a better price by the time we get to uh, to fight night. I also think that like two and a half takedowns, I don't, I like it, but don't love it um, for RDA. Mix them in a little bit. Two and a half, I, I, I can't see him get, getting much more than like three or four. So it's only a slight edge, but on prize picks, that's, uh, that's the way I'm going about, uh, about it. But yeah, for me, I think it's RDA. It's Dogger Pass. I just can't touch Fazeev at this price. Uh, moving on down. Oh. What, you wanted to interrupt? No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Move on, Dan. You, you breathed like you had to, you, you wanted to say something. You want to say something? 
No, it's all good. I was just kind of going to agree. I think two and a half makes a lot of sense on prize picks. Like, he's somebody that does like to go out and score takedowns. Last time out against Marcano, he got five. His fight before that with Paul Felder, he got six. But you see that there's a pattern in his fights. When he's taking on guys that can wrestle, he's getting five oh, or six. Exactly, when he takes on Michael Chiesa, he gets taken down six times. When he takes down Colby Covington or Kamaru Usman, you know, 12 times, 10 times, like, he gets taken down. So, yeah. wrestling is always a part of his fights, whether he's the one doing it offensively or doing it defensively. Yeah. I'm just hoping that Fiziev is going to roadblock him. But but one intriguing point, I guess, makes it a, a decent enough proposition for RDA is if he goes out there and shoots 20 takedowns, even if 19 of them get stuffed, it's he's going to tire Fiziev yeah. out. And he's got the extra couple rounds. So, even though I am taking Fiziev, the lucky thing for us here is this is the main event, so you can easily take out that hedge out option. And it looks like a decent enough hedge out option considering there's some good plus money here on a proven commodity in Rafael Dos Anjos. Yes. But I, I still got to go with Fiziv as the official pick. Somewhere in the mix there. That's what I was trying to get to is that like Rafael Dos Anjos, when he has a wrestling advantage, gets a lot of takedowns. But that is the path to victory for people who have better wrestling than him is that they take him down, they pressure him. Um, that type of thing. I mean, RDA is basically just like a jack-of-all-trades. Master of none, but, like, he's just excellent. He's good enough at everything that he can kind of exploit you in different things. I just think Raphael Fazeev's takedown defense hasn't really been tested enough. So, yeah, the prize picks over two and a half takedowns has my interest. And we'll see where we get on the on the money line as we get closer to fight night. But uh, I'll wait until you drop your parlays, which will have Fazeev probably top ticket so you can hedge on the way out, get that little bit of bump. And then I'll probably end up with some money on RDA. Moving on down, we got Kyle Borallo taking on Cody's boy, Armin Petrosian. Minus 200 Borallo, plus 170 Petrosian. I only call him your boy because you had him against Gregory Rodriguez against me. Um, how do you see this one shaking out? You were right about Petrosian not being a complete scrub. And, and he, he scraped by against G-Rod. And G-Rod's, that's a good win. G-Rod's a legitimate contender. I'm pretty interested in this line because Kayo obviously he's looked pretty good as a prospect he's very very young um in his in his uh development right now but um yeah the number of minus 200 like they're they're pricing him as like a legitimate threat here so uh what's your take here bud yeah, well, this is the tough part is that they're both my boys, you know. Kyle Barahal uh, comes on the contender series. He fought Aaron Jeffries, and as soon as they announced the fight, I don't know who the hell the guy was, but I know exactly who Aaron Jeffries was, so I jump on the tape hard, and, and then it was like, oh, shit. Aaron Jeffries is in a lot of trouble here. So pick KO, and he goes out there, and he's, you know, legitimately skilled everywhere. Like, like you said with Rafael Senos, you know, he's a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. It's like Barahal. Is his striking elite? No, but it's pretty damn good. His wrestling's pretty damn good. His grappling's pretty damn good. Above the, all else, he calls himself the fight nerd because he's a super smart guy. Got a neck tat. I, I haven't seen a whole lot of nerds with neck tats no. for the record, but all the same, like he's super educated. He's got good ring IQ. He's got an ability to transition between skill sets. So I think that there's a lot to work with. And anyways, he goes out there and beats Jeffries. Looks really good doing it. You know, they don't sign him to a contract. Thought that was a little bit weird. So he takes another fight on contender series against Jesse Murray. Like two weeks later up at 205 pounds, not 185, and absolutely wrecks him in the first round. So low-level opposition, but took the fight on short notice up a weight class. So I really think that you see the diversity to his striking. You see that he's a work in progress, but he's getting a lot more comfortable. The UFC, of course, does sign him. He comes to the UFC. He takes on Gadzi, uh, Omar Gadziev, who, who might not actually be all that good, but, you know, it's the equivalent to, like, a shutout, you know? Like, he just, he goes out there and he beats him in every aspect of the game. You know, struck him standing. He took him down. He looked super comfortable on the ground. His gas tank looked good. 
Nothing looked like it was going to be a problem. It was a very clean victory. Maybe low-level opposition, but again, another clean victory. Armin, meanwhile, you know that Armin, as I had talked about him the last time, the guy's wily. He's got good striking. He's with it. He's got good kicks. He stays in your face. And he's got good cardio. That's a big thing about him, is that he's got an ability to push a pace. So even though his grappling is not all that good, if you tire out trying to grapple him, he's going to eventually take over. When he was on the Contender Series against that Kolyan Kolev, he's getting manhandled for the first, like, three minutes of the fight. He gets taken down three times. He's taken down at will. Unfortunately, this big, sauced-up Bulgarian tires out. And as soon as he does, Arm catches him and he puts him away. Takes on RoboCop, Gregor Rodriguez. Gregor Rodriguez is a fantastic fighter, but you see just how big the guy is physically. If you can push a pace on him, you know, anything can happen. We got dog money on that one. It was labeled a dog or pass type situation. The dog squeaked it out. But Paul, you could have won that fight just as much as I could have won that fight because RoboCop put a beating on Petrosian. Shatters his face, took him down, took his back. But my guy Petrosian puts a little more striking on him. You know, the volume was there. It was a close mm -hmm. fight. Personally, I did score for Armin Petrosian. I could, I see the argument the other way around, and it's a close split decision. When I think about Kyle Barra, how he's got good cardio, so I don't think he has to get into these crazy uh, slugfests or, like, knock him out, drag him down type fights. I think he goes out there methodically with his stand-up. It's good enough to keep him out of harm's way largely, but he needs to just bait him in. And when he does bait him in, get the takedown. Everybody else has been able to do it so far. He's given up five takedowns in his last two fights, and I think that Barajal can do that. When he does get the fight to the ground, his grappling is, is top-notch. Like, no offense to Gregory Rodriguez for a guy that is a high-level BJJ black belt, uh, he doesn't really have a whole lot of submission wins of late, and he's, he has spent a lot of time on guys' backs. He takes the back a lot. He gets into good positions. He just is not rewarded with those positions, and his opponent usually gets back up. I think with, with Barahao, if he can just get the fight to the ground, get the positions he likes, he'll be able to kill off a lot of the clock. So I don't like the 2-1, to one, if we're being perfectly honest, mm -hmm. but I think they're both bright prospects. Uh, I just like more what I see out of Kyle, especially at 185 pounds, so... I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go with him to get the job done. But not one that I would have a whole lot of confidence in. Not because I don't love Ko. I really do. But because he's taking on somebody else who's also got an adequate skill set. I don't want it on my second line. I don't want it on my third line. But yeah, at least you sense. can trust him a little more than some of these other guys, right? Kyle over one and a half takedowns. The the worry there is that maybe he takes him down. His jujitsu is so much better. He's able to fish for a submission, but. You know, as as you kind of said over the course of it, um, Petrosian taken down twice by Robocop, taken down three times by Kolev. Uh, Kyo took down Aaron Jeffrey three times. Uh, the path is definitely there. So uh, Kyo over one and a half takedowns is on my prize picks uh, this week. Maybe not super confident. I've only made one uh, one lineup so or one lineup one five of five. It's a, uh, sorry, it's a flex play. So if you get five out of five, which I got on one of them last week, you get 10 to one on your money. Four, and a, four out of five, you get 2X. Three out of five, you get 0.4X. So at least you get oh, just, you know, 40% of your money back. So um, yeah, there's a lot of outs. Like if you get four or five, you're good. Uh, I'm not supremely confident in Kyo getting over. Uh, you know, two or more takedowns, but I thought the number was a little bit low. So that's how I've got my investment in this one. Moving on down, we got Saeed Nurmagomedov taking on Douglas Silva de Andrade. Minus 300, Saeed. Plus 250 for DSDA. I love D Douglas Silva de Andrade. I just don't know if I love him 
in this spot giving up a lot of reach obviously but that's pretty typical of like all of his fights he's just a short stubby muscle machine um what an absolute war i mean maybe i'm feeling like really high on him because of you know cashing out a, a decent sized dog ticket last time against sergey morozov he just so showed so much heart in that fight saeed's got all the skills it's obviously super, super dicey. I, I think the price is a little bit wide here. It continues to swell, continues to get wider. People see the name Nurmagomedov, and they bet the side Nurmagomedov. But Saeed made me look like an absolute jabroni last time out by finishing, uh, I think I was on the over, um, by finishing Cody Stamen in the first round, which is like, that's an impressive, impressive feat. So, uh me i'm kind of staring at it as like a dogger pass but i wanted to hear what you had to say is there is there any merit to it i imagine saeed's probably going to be closer up your parlays yeah well at three to one it obviously insinuates he's one of the bigger favorites on the card he's going to be one of the safer guys on the card and i'm going to agree for the most part but the thing with a big strong physical unit like diandrage is you hate betting that much chalk against a guy who's this physically shredded and clearly takes his vic craft extremely seriously because yeah he is live you know he's a guy that can fight a hard couple rounds he can overcome some adversity his last fight with morozov he is seriously compromised early gets rocked you know uh, near stoppage in the first and then comes back to absolutely destroy morozov in the second round so i think there's a lot of a lot of uh, good stuff that you can get out of him for an underdog play certainly the other thing is level of competition this guy's seen it all i mean he's fought in the likes of larone murphy hano barrow peter young marlon vera rob font uh, Zuber Tuhugov back in the day. So they've done him no favors for the most part. He's fought a really high level. He went uh, he went two full rounds with Peter Yan and got caught. He went the distance with Laurel Murphy. He went, you know, in deep, eh, almost two full rounds with Rob Font. So you see that there are levels to this. He loses to the elite level guys. But, I mean, he's durable enough to last a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. The Morozov fight, he's getting killed early. But that durability keeps him in it long enough to catch Morozov, a guy that is potentially suspect. Let's be real, right? With Said Nurmagomedov, I think it's much of the same. I think he's going to get frozen up. I think he's going to have a lot of trouble finding his timing, finding the distance, and putting up uh, significant strikes. And he's just going to fall behind on the strike count. If at some point he does get rocked, if at some point he gets, you know, shooken up and Said ends up on his back, or Said ends up with a guillotine choke, of course he can finish him. I get owned in the Cody Stamen thing just as much as you did. Dude's super durable. Again, dude loses to the Aljamain Sterlings of the world inside the distance. But outside of that is like a tough gatekeeper type opponent. And it has good grappling, has good wrestling, and he just got buzzsawed in the first. So Saeed is opportunistic. He could beat you stand-up. He could beat you on the ground if he catches you with something. I think he could finish this fight inside the distance. But the more likely path is he uses his superior speed, footwork, stay to the outside, and just chip away at him. You, you see Douglas and D'Andrade and some slower opponents. Uh, well, maybe not slower necessarily, but the Sergey Morozov fight. Struggles early. Morozov slows down. He puts some strikes together and finishes them. But it wasn't huge output. The Gaetano Perello fight, he finishes him early, so you don't get to see the output. Go back and watch La Ramon, the Lerone Murphy fight. That's a better indicator. Go back and watch, say, the Peter Yan fight. That's a better indicator. They're mm -hmm. fast, fleet, fat, uh, fast, fleet-footed guys that move laterally, and he just can't find the range on them. Yeah. So they stay at distance, and they just chip away. And so whereas Morozov slipped up and got caught, I just don't think Said Nurmagomedov is going to. Do I like the price tag? Hell no, right? Do I want to bet against D'Andrade with that kind of price? Probably not. But Nirmagomedov just like like the stylistical clash favors him. He's got multiple paths to victory, and I think he's got a safe route to uh, to a decision. Might be able to finish him inside the distance, and for that reason, yeah, yeah, I've got to have some confidence in him.
Over two and a half is plus 100, which is probably not a bad look in this spot. Not terrible, but Cody Stamen overlooked that, that, too, right? So Stamen always goes to decision, so that's like yeah. that's why I'm scared to. I mean, that's probably why it's priced this way, right? Because he finished Cody Stamen in round one. You know, if that doesn't happen, this over two and a half is probably like minus one seventy. You know, a little bit of recency bias cooked into it. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Uh, we'll see where I get as the week goes on. If this keeps swelling and it gets up to plus three hundred, I'm probably gonna. You know me. You know me, full blown degen. I get it's it's at least I won't lose as much money if I get completely swept off the board and it's all long underdogs like this. I suppose. Um, let's move on down. Here's another one that's like absolute grease fire. Jared Vanderaw takes on Chase the Vanilla Gorilla Sherman because we gotta know Cody. We gotta know like who is. Who is the worst? Uh, are these guys even the worst heavyweights? Like, I mean, Jared yeah, Vanderoff. Jared Vanderoff may be the dumbest heavyweight because, like, uh, why? Why would you ever decide to grapple with old man Olenek? Like, that was hilarity. That was so funny. I, I love that. I was on Olenek, and like the entire time I was watching it, going like, "What is this guy doing? What? What are you even thinking? Like, you're supposed to stay at range." You know, you have decent volume. That is your path to victory here. Um, in this spot, I almost kind of think, like, is Jared Vanderaar just going to stand in, like, kicking range so that so that Chase Sherman can just kick his leg the, for 15 minutes? Because that's entirely possible, the way that this guy showed up against old man Olenek. Minus 205 for Vanderaar. Not that I want to bet Chase Sherman. Like, no person should want to bet Chase Sherman in a UFC fight. Like, I mean, I think he's... One in eight in his last nine fights or something. Seven. One in seven. Over Either way, it's eight. super, super ugly. He hasn't done anything impressive, but I can see this being like a a close heavyweight uh, slobber knocker where round three, these guys are kind of tired, but still throwing like absolute grease, greasy shots. Uh, is Vanderoff that much of a better wrestler? Like, is he really going to be able to control the the range? Is he going to really control the game by by taking Chase Chase down? I'm not so sure about that. Like, most of his best victories, his, his best performances have been, like, leading the dance on the feet. Another spot I think is Dogger Pass, but, like, I, I don't think I can build up the courage after coming off of, like, such a horrible week last week to bet uh, Chase Sherman at plus 175. But I'll pick Chase Sherman for the purposes of this show. What's your take here? Yeah, the UFC uh, missed a unique opportunity here to, first of all, do Chase Sherman versus Alan Bodeau in a battle of who would look good for the first three minutes and find some way to blow it <laughs> beyond that. And then also they could have booked Jared Vander. Well, I guess they've already fought him. This is Harry Hunsucker. But that would be the two other worst guys on the roster. Now, Harry Hunsucker, very wise, realizes, geez, I might be the worst heavyweight on the roster. So I was actually moved down to 205, where he's going to fight Tyson Pedro and you know have a pullout potentially being the worst 205er on the roster. So we'll have to see how that one shakes up. But yeah, no, this is super, super low level. But uh, the fans love it, man. Fans love the big, greasy heavyweights. Could be a quick knockout, could be an absolute bog, but not every day you see guys that are six foot four, 265 pounds, cut down to 265. So, yeah, there's something thrilling about it there. Uh, they're both super low level. What I will admit about Chase Sherman is goes back to the joke I just made about him in the Alan Bodeau fight is that 
You and I keyed in on the fight with uh, Ike Villanueva, right? It's his last win. As he's one in seven over his last eight. The one win, he tested positive afterwards. It should be a no contest. In fact, guys like Alan Bodeau got wins from disqualifications because their opponents failed drug tests, right? So how he kept that win, I don't know. But he looked good in that fight. Looked good in that fight, and his back is just covered in back knee, right? Fails, takes a time off, comes back against Andrelovsky. Didn't look very good. Looked good early, faded. No tank down the stretch, got worked by Orlovsky. The Parker Porter fight, he looked pretty good early, massively fails in the second and the third round, completely tires out. And then his last two against Jake Collier and Alexander Romanov, uh, well, Collier exploited the fact that Chase Sherman's awful on the ground. Like he just took him down, passed him out immediately, pounded on him, and then got a rear naked choke all within two minutes and 26 seconds. And then Romanov, it was a joke that they had booked him, but. You know, they need somebody short notice. Nobody wanted to fight Romanov. The UFC doubled Chase Sherman's show money, patted him on the back, said, thanks for doing this, dude, and actually gave him a fight out of it, right? He's on a four-fight losing streak. They don't give guys like Chase Sherman another opportunity to compete, but they were thankful that he went in there against Romanov and got smoked. So I won't hold that one against him, but what you're seeing is in 15-minute striking affairs, he's completely gassing out and, you know, tiring down the stretch and losing, and if it ends up being a, a grappling battle, grappling is just not all that good. I guess Jared Vandera, I mean, Jared Vandera figures probably lose the first round but not get knocked out, and then the second and the third round, he's just going to swarm him with volume. The guy's terrible, he really is, but if he's got anything, it's probably volume. And to be frank with you, Chase Sherman's wrestling looked decent against Romanov. He got taken down three times, but, like, he fought the first couple off really good and got back up. It looked actually like, damn, this guy's been working on his wrestling. Unfortunately, he's taking on Romanov. But also, unfortunately, when he did get taken down the third time, he just accepts it because he got tired. So Vanderen not going to take him down early, I bet. What he needs to do is weather the early storm and just continuously put on pressure, continuously come forward, wear on him, let the striking numbers eventually favor him and just mm-hmm. let output take over. And the takedowns won't be there early, but they may be there later in the second or into the third. And if the fight was to hit the ground, yeah, him versus Alexa Olenek, yeah, apparently there's levels to this. And even though Jared Vander is a black belt, yeah, he won on Alexei Olenek's level despite the dude being 46 years old, a former middleweight and damn near cripple. Okay, that's another story for another day. But against Chase Sherman, who's not on the GAC anymore. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, if you get the fight got to the ground and he was tired and you got on top, you can make something happen. So, greasy heavyweight fight. Uh, the thing is, is the minus 205 versus Vandra makes it a complete pass, mm-hmm. right? But because on the PRP, it'll have to end up there at some point. It will be Vandra, but it'll be low down there. And why it's a minus 205 on a clearly heavyweight... <laughs> You know, uh, 50-50 pick them. Like, I'm not entirely sure. But you and I have preached in the past that low-level heavyweights, you know, you can always get a good plus money tag there. So even though I don't love Chase Sherman, I'm not picking him outright. I really aren't. Uh, if you are picking him at plus 175, yeah, you could do worse for sure. Vandera, 51.5 significant strikes on prize picks. Over. Over. The only, Obviously, Sherman could get finished in the first round, but it's like, Against Arlovsky, you know, he got to uh, Vandera got to 70 uh, in that. And that was like kind of a slow paced fight against Justin Taffa, which I think maybe this fight kind of looks a little bit more like he got 121 significant strikes when he's not getting taken down, submitted, taken down, controlled. He's throwing quite a bit of volume for a big heavy. So I think 51 and a half is way, way too low. Um, So that was another piece of my prize picks puzzle. Pat. Price picks Pat. Well, this is actually a betting question for Cody. If I'm watching this live 
the way that you describe this fight is if you don't want to eat the minus 205, why not just bet it after round one, like you said? Like, if if he comes out and he storms Chase Sherman, then, yeah, you didn't bet the minus 205, whatever. But if he loses round one, aren't you going to get, like, an even money price tag after round one if he loses it? Yeah, that, that that's fair enough, right? And and it, and, it, and it gets you from making a bad bet initially. You don't want to bite the 205, so you don't. And if he gets smoked in the first round you're like oh so glad i never made that bet but if you see a live betting opportunity for okay he took sherman's best shots sherman's always naturally going to slow down the guy's better suited for great uncle boxing he's on his way out uh jared vander needs to go out there and utilize the best of his skill sets it's like paul opened this entire segment by saying dude's just not smart he's just really not that bright of a guy no. inside and outside of the cage so similar to his sean, sean strickland for the record jared vander and sean strickland former training partners uh, you, can I trust him to go out there and make the proper decisions? Maybe not. But no. what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Bet him after the first round where you can get plus money on him. And then who cares if he's got bad ring IQ? It's plus money. At 205, you're going to be cursing yourself early. So not not a bad way of looking at it for sure. I uh, I, I think he'll get Homer Simpson in the first round and then, and then work his way back in and you'll get a better price tag after the first. All right, we got Jamie. And, and what Paul's saying actually makes a lot of sense as well. The over 50 significant strikes because Chase Sherman's not going to want to take this guy down. And Vandera maybe wants to take Chase Sherman down, but Jared Vandera has scored one takedown in his last five fights. And it was against Harry Hunsucker, yeah. the aforementioned guy who had otherwise rocked him early in that contender series fight. So his wrestling, even though he's a black belt and he's, they call him, what is he called? The mountain man mountain. Like dude's 270 pounds. Like he sucks on the ground. And he's got no wrestling. So he has a huge advantage there. Yeah. I just don't know that he'll be able to get Chase. it. There. So this probably ends up being a, a fight where they both stand there and land. And Paul mentioned the Arlovsky fight. If you go back and you watch you the look Parker at Chase Porter Sherman's fight, totals if you go back for and you all watch of the Augusto fights. Sakai fight, yeah, all of them. Even the Justin Willis fight, which is super low pace, Justin Willis still, still easily eclipses 50 significant strikes. He led 76, right? Chase uh, Sherman, I think, I think it's incredibly hittable. Incredibly hitter. If he doesn't get finished, yeah. that's that's where you know that's where the over Here's becomes the saving dicey. grace. He but, only gets finished if it's on the ground, whereas exactly. he's taking on a guy that has no ability to get the ground to the ground early. What Pat's saying, yeah, bet him after the first round. When I'm saying same thing, he could get him down second or third round, but he needs to wear him down. And we're gonna talk about uh, Michael Johnson. You know, taking Michael Johnson down early not easy. Dude wrestled in junior college, extremely athletic. Russell's some of the best guys. Second and the third round, taking Michael Johnson down. You know, not that, not that hard. Well, no. hard for me, not hard for a UFC it, level athlete. Is it going to be hard for uh, Jamie Malarkey, who's a minus two thirty five favorite against Michael Johnson, though? Yeah, uh, yeah. This one's yeah. so dicey, but like that price is weird because I mean, Malarkey just got knocked out less than six months ago. Michael Johnson does hit hard. He's obviously put in training with some of the best guys in the world in Sanford. I forget what their name of their gym is now. They just changed it the other day. But again, um, it's not Hard Knock 365. I thought they changed it to something. They changed it again. Jeez. Yeah, they changed it from like Sanford to something else. I can look that up in a bit. Malarkey minus two thirty five. Johnson plus two hundred. I'm kind of, I kind of want to bet the underdog here, but I don't want to pull the trigger on Michael Johnson because the guy's an absolute flake. Like he can look so like the Tiago Moises fight always comes to mind. It's just like he looked amazing in round one, and then just like one momentary lapse of judgment, and he's submitted. It's game over. But this price seems a little bit wide. Is Jamie Malarkey gonna have like the wrestling chops to really control him to really? 
dictate that. Malarkey, we used to lean on his great durability, but you know, after getting iced last time out and in such a short distance since that, you start to question, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe he's not able to take the damage that he once was. Minus 235 is just a very, very steep price to be paying against a, a long veteran, a guy with 37 fights inside or, or 37 professional fights, and most of those inside of the octagon in Michael Johnson. So Michael Johnson's over the hill, but I think this is another dogger pass situation, Cody. Yeah, fair enough. I got to go with Jamie Malarkey still, but I understand what you're saying. It's a dogger pass situation that Michael Johnson's got way more experience. He's, of course, you can't talk about the guy not mentioning the fact that he's knocked out Dustin Poirier. You know, he was a four to one morning line favorite over Nate Diaz, got smoked in that fight. But all the same, it's like he's fought a really high level, got to win over Tony Ferguson, you know, rock Justin Gaethje in his fight, you know, almost put him away. So, like, the guy, the guy's credible, but yeah, the later years just haven't been too kind for him. And I know he trains on an elite level, and I know this and that, but he has a way to let you down. Does Can he pick up a victory here and there? Sure, sure. But it doesn't take away from the fact that Michael Johnson, at his best, world-class, he just never shows up at his best. And sneakily, he's now 36 years old. He was known for this, like, huge power, uh, I understand he knocked out Alan Patrick his last time out, but like the power doesn't really seem to be there anymore. He tried dropping down to 55 to 45, looked awful at 45, has come back to 55, and I don't really know that he's found any of the success there either. He talked about, you know, wrestling and grappling, and is Jamie Malarkey going to go out there and out-wrestle him, out-grapple him? Well, seeing what Clay Guida was able to do to him, seeing what Stevie Ray was able to do with him, where the later you take him into fights, one single takedown, he just has no ability to get back up. That's somebody that grinds and pushes a pace and is going to be actively searching for the takedowns is going to grind him down. I believe it was you once upon a time. I picked him over Darren Elkins. Uh, what's the fight? 2018. That was four years ago. I pick him over Darren Elkins, and you're like, no, no, no. Darren Elkins, good live betting opportunity. Elkins probably loses the first round. But Elkins never stops coming. And Michael Johnson has a way of disappearing. At the time, it was like, yeah, watch it. Because Elkins is going to get his head smoked off. And like, yeah, Elkins lost the first round. Then you know what happened after that? He went out there, established a takedown, beat him on him, gave up his back, subbed him with the rear naked choke. That ability to grind and withstand the early damage, you know, that's always been his kryptonite. So Alan Patrick is... Likewise, you know, in his mid-30s now, he's very one-dimensional. His wrestling's not that good to begin with. He struggled against biz- bigger, more physical strongers in the past, and it was no different. It was a good way for Michael Johnson to get back in the win column. But essentially, any fight that goes beyond that first round, that goes mid, deep, sec- end of the second, going into the third, that's when he really falters and falls apart, and that's where you see him get exposed. Jamie Markey can and will do that. Is the guy chinny? Well, his losses by knockout are to Alexander Volkanovsky, which I- I'm inclined to give the guy a pass on. I'd give him And then pass. the other one's Jalen Turner, which I can tell you something. That kid's on I'm inclined fire. to give the guy a pass on. God damn. But it was only in March, man. It wasn't that long ago. It was only in March, right. So you look at it and you think, okay, what is this? March, uh, March, April, May, June, July. <laughs> yeah, all right, right. And he did get it completely iced in that fight as well, but... I don't know. I think he'll, I think he'll be okay. He's got an ability to take damage and keep coming forward, right? If mm-hmm. that is com- if that's compromised and taken away from him, I agree with you for sure. He got finished Malarkey live. You may seconds. get a better price than the minus two thirty five. If Michael Johnson well. has a good, Pat, I was going to say this. This would be another opportunity where you might be able to get a better price on Jamie Malarkey after the first. However, unlike the last fight, where I do fully expect Chase Sherman to be very competitive, if not win the first round, Johnson could. 
just win the first out. round. He could also get his ass beat in the first round, sure. and you're never going to see that price tag ever again on Jamie Moore. That's right? fair. Like, if he loses the first, no one's going to live bet Michael Johnson because that's his best round, right? So if Jamie takes that away from him, and again, he can do that with pressure. It's completely possible. I thought Jamie Markey won the Faraz Zayem fight. He did that entirely with pressure. Pressure the guy, pressure him, pressure him, right? The Devontae Smith fight. Devontae Smith fights in many regards, similar to Michael Johnson. Very explosive for that first round. Big power, very dynamic, good striker. The longer that you can drag him into those deeper waters, the more success you'll have against him, right? So he was able to live through that one. Jalen Turner, not so much. But again, he got finished 46 seconds into the second round, officially meaning he made it five more minutes than Brad Riddell. Like... This what he was able to do against him is, is actually not that bad. He took a lot of damage early. He took all of it. He withstood it. He walked through his best shots. He actually takes um, him down at the end of the first round. And it's just like, okay, Jamie Mark is working his way into it. And then he gets caught in the second. Brad Riddell literally got rocked and put away after that first shot. So even though he just got finished, I think his durability is still there. And I think that that's going to be key to putting a pressure on Michael Johnson, breaking him down and, and ultimately getting, a, I would think, a decision victory. So. Sign me up for Jamie Malarkey, but again, the, the price tag is not great, and I wouldn't fault anybody for, for banking on Michael Johnson's uh, great footwork and huge power. It's just like he only uses that stuff once every so often because he just used it in his last fight. Chances are he's uh, going out there to throw up a goose egg in this one. Top Jim Sanford MMA rebranded to Kill Cliff FC. I don't know what Cliff did, but Kill Cliff FC. It won't it won't last long. Like someone should write a book on it. But at this point, it's like they were American top team and then they broke off and they became the Black Zillies. Actually, it was uh, was it Jaco Jacko Athletic Center? Yeah, Jacko Athletic Black Zillions. And then. Yeah, but it was they had that that clothing brand Jaco. Anyways, it was like a Jaco hybrid training center or something. And then they were the Black Zillions and then that scraped and then they changed to something and then they changed to hard knocks 365 and then they changed to sanford now they're trying change to kill cliff fc like what do you think is going to happen <laughs> they're just going to rebrand to something else at some other point like it's actually kind of difficult to stay with att's been att since 2001 <laughs> you know puts things into perspective right? i don't understand all the na- the name changes it doesn't is it some sort of like tax evasion thing? Like they're already in Florida. No, There's no. basically no taxes in Florida. That's what I'm led to believe as a Canadian. So to my knowledge, um, ATT splits, right? And then and then the, the guys that are like, okay, well, we're going to go do our own thing. We're going to have the Black Zillion. So it's like Jay-Z Calvacante and uh, Jorge Santiago and like a lot of those original guys, Gilbert Burns, like a lot of those original guys, they kind of set up shop and do their own thing. So they had Glenn Robinson. You remember they had... American Top Team versus Black Zillions was a season of the Ultimate Fighter, right? And it's like centered around Glenn Robinson is the money guy. And then he ended up having like some tax evasion, like end up uh, filing for bankruptcy and then got some health issues and then died, right? And he was funding the entire thing. So at that point, it's like, well, we don't got no money, man. So what happened was Henry Hoof, who's, you know, been the boss and he's been the boss for a while now, is that he seems to link up with these like rich investors, generally either own a gym or just want to re just want to brand a gym. So they're just, they're, they're essentially just rebranding a gym. So like hard knocks 365, it's just like a fitness center essentially, but they're just like, yo, you got money or you got millions. Okay. I'm going to bring in a world-class MMA team, South Florida. They're going to train here. You fund it. It's this great deal. And the deals just never work out because as you know, as anybody knows, there's no money in fighting, right? Like team takedown tried to do it with Johnny Hendricks and they got paid a million dollars when he beat Robbie Lawler, but they still went broke. Right. Cause like, Funding six guys so that one of them might be a world champion. Funding 20 guys so that one of them might be a world champion. 
yeah, no, long term, no, not going to work out. So that's what seems they seem to do. They just eventually their two year relationship will work, will will run dry, and there'll be some other things. So Sanford MMA, I bet you was some other rich guy who probably had Sanford somewhere in his name or some type of family tie, and was just like, I'll give you a bunch of money, and you just call it Sanford MMA, and that's what they did. I wonder. And then two years later, the lease is up, and the money's not there anymore, and it's just like, yeah, we're gonna. This other guy is probably like, dude, I hate Cliff. He's my worst enemy on the planet. I got millions of dollars. You know what? F Cliff. I would normally drop the F bomb, but I just don't want to cut it from the show later. Of course, I, I'm F Cliff. I'm starting my own team. Kill Cafe. I was wondering if S it was Cliff Sanford who owned it, and then he like you know, <laughs> and they were right, like right. Kill Cliff. That's our new uh, name because he's not dude. paying the bills anymore. Cliff, get out of here, Sanford. Yeah. All right, we got uh, Cynthia Calvillo taking on Nina Nunez. Minus 145, Calvillo, plus 125 for Nina. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, this one's tough because it goes back to, like, what could somebody potentially do versus what they're realistically going to do. And that's kind of the problem for me. Uh, Nina Nunes, bit of a slow starter in the UFC, but, like, she found her footing. She found her footing in a big way. This is somebody that was going to be an absolute problem for a lot of the division. And I don't know if it was injuries. I don't know if it was my wife is considered the women's goat and is making millions of dollars and is in these huge fights. I don't know if it's we adopted a child and because my wife's such a badass and training at an elite level, like I have to become the child's primary caregiver. But like she kind of just like sidetracked her own career, I think. Like at her best, again, look at, we'll, we'll just talk about her last, say, three uh, Angela Hill. Angela Hill, all volume, all striking. She outstruck her 143 to 107 in a 15-minute time period. Her striking was on point. Grappling's an issue, but Angela Hill can't grapple, so didn't need it in that fight. And you see what she can do with her volume and her striking? Awesome. The random Marcos fight. She did get taken down, but takedown defense looked a lot improved in that fight. Put up the volume, put up the, the work. Fine. The Claudia Gadelia fight looked tremendous. Doubled up Claudia Gadelia, a former world title challenger, on the, uh, the striking output, two to one. Did get taken down twice. Ground game looked good. Ability to get back up to her feet looked good. Cardio looked good. She's right on the cusp of a world title shot. And they throw in there with Tatiana Suarez. She didn't look bad against Tatiana Suarez. No, got Suarez tired, got tired in round three. That was like For Tatiana's sure. like most, that was like her performance where she looked like most human. Yeah, and Suarez is an absolute unit who steamrolls anybody that she feels like. It looks like a legitimate threat to the world to title. And, you know, if she didn't have injuries and she didn't have setbacks and all that, like, who knows what her potential could be, right? Mm -hmm. And Nunez did make her look human in at least some regard. So she was on she was on the right track. Now you take two years off, and these are prime years to you because Nina Nunez is 37. She is... She's 36 years old, right? So you're leaving as a title contender in, you know, 2019, 2018, 2019. You take off a critical two years, you come back, and then she got the Mackenzie Dern fight. Now, Mackenzie Dern, unreal grappler, wrestling, not good, not good. And so she went out there, and Nina looked flat. She looked lethargic. Her footwork was gone. She was super tentative throwing strikes because she was worried about getting taken down. And then, sure enough, did get taken down by Mackenzie Dern, who very few people can tell you, yeah, I got taken down by Mackenzie Dern. Her, one of them. And as soon as the fight hit the ground, there was like a large discrepancy in actual grappling skill set. We know that grappling's always been an issue for her in the past. It's that got uh, people like Claudia Gadelli's got suspect gas tank. Angela Hill, not enough grappling, right? She made it work there. That two years off, she did not look herself. She did not fight herself. Her wrestling looked like it regressed. 
Her grappling wasn't never really there to begin with. Certainly let her down. It's a bad fight. And then you're furthermore going to compound another 16 months on top of that. It's like she doesn't got the in-cage experience. She doesn't got the, you know, the timing down. You could make the argument, well, she's Amanda Nunez's wife. Like, obviously, she's training at a high level. Obviously, she's got money to put herself in the best position to succeed and show up in great shape. But all of that was true the last time against Dern. And she looked as bad as she's ever has maybe, you know, since the Justine Quiche fight once upon a time. Like, just not a very particularly good run for her. So as much as I say all of that, and I truly do believe it, when you look at Cynthia Calvillo, it's like all the same red flags. Like she, uh, I'll never forget this one, right? So yeah, she hasn't looked good in a while, right? The weight cuts start chewing away at her. She wins fights, but they're fights that she's struggling with her weight cut. So then anyways, she fights uh, Kaylin Jakagian, loses she shoots the first takedown right from a mile out gets stuffed i remember i left tweeted it i was like bet take caitlin jacagian right now she's not going to get taken down i think she maybe got taken down once in the whole fight but paints her up right doesn't look good the jessica andrage fight just andrage batters her to the body we give her pass there it's andrage but you know striking not all that good wrestling not all that good where does this girl fit in she was a weight bully at 115 big strong physical could get those girls to the ground. At 125, the wrestling is rendered obsolete, and she can't take that good of a punch. So now I flip the tie. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take a flyer on Andrea Lee here because Andrea Lee is underdog. It's a dog or pass. Women's MMA, as Pat always says, why not take a flyer on the underdog? She got roasted. You're taking on someone in Andrea Lee who notoriously has struggled with wrestlers and grapplers in all of her fights. Mm-hmm. You were not able to get her down whatsoever. You absolutely got picked apart standing to the tune that the, she quit between rounds and then she quits. They wave it off. Her eyes swollen shut. She's got her head down and she starts peeling her gloves off. Like she's fully going to put them in the center of the cage and retire right then and there. Here's somebody. She's on a three fight losing streak. She's 34 years old. Yeah. She's just fallen way down the rankings. She's getting madly beat up now by Andrea Lee and Jessica Andrade in subsequent fights. All of her other losses, no other loss. She had lost to Carla Sparza, right? Uh, the current world champion and a former world champion as well. She went the distance with Marina Rodriguez in a competitive draw. You know, she beat Jessica. I, a former world title challenger. Now she's getting stopped by Andrea Lee and Andrade and it hurts and you're 34 and you're not getting any better. You're getting worse. And 125 ain't the weight class for you. None of this sounds good. And I don't know if her mind thought I'm retiring and someone said to her, yo, 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 just wait on it. Wait on it. You suddenly reignited the passion, but she looked that last fight. Like, she did not want to be there from the second the buzzer rang until the second that she decided on her corner, yo, I actually vocalized it. I don't want to be here. And then you go back and you watch the Andrade fight again. You watch the Caitlin Chikagian fight again. She's not inspired in any of those fights. Mm So to bet her suddenly and think that she's going to come out here hungry to use her wrestling and use her grappling, which would be needed to beat Nina Nunes, I don't know that I can trust her. Flip side of that for Nina Nunes, this thing stays standing. She's going to dice Calvillo up with her volume and her pace but if she gets taken down like she got you know weak ass get up game so like i don't know i don't know uh if pat mayo's taught me anything is just like spam spam the underdog pick on these women's mma fights that are competitive and figure to go 15 minutes i think this is competitive i think it probably goes 15 minutes i'll take nina nunez i agree i agree i'll take nina nunez as well uh in this situation Hopefully, she's had a serious camp. Hopefully, you know, Amanda's obviously getting ready for Pena, so I'm sure 
I haven't been watching the Ultimate Fighter. I wonder if Nina's been in the mix whatsoever uh, on that program. I just, you know, I, I pulled up an old tweet of mine. After watching, it's me reading my tweet. After watching the Twitter, uh, Twitter's reaction following Calvillo versus Lee and Nunez versus Pena, Pena, it's safe to say there's a double standard for being labeled a quitter in MMA. Apologize to my guy, Max Roshkov, right now. Because everyone... Everyone called that guy a queer. He got ousted from the organization. Seems sexist to me. Pat, you have something to say. Yeah, prize picks-wise, I'm just looking at the last few fights. I know they didn't go the distance, and this is a minus 225 to hit the over of 2.5, but under 60.5 significant strikes for Calvillo. has gone under three times in a row, and it doesn't sound like she's any good. She might quit. I mean, if she's getting the takedowns, you probably get bailed out there because significant strikes on the ground don't count. Um, In fairness to her, obviously, the Andrea Lee one, she quit after round two. She got to 47. So if that one goes three rounds, she probably gets there. And in fairness, like Jessica Andrade is an absolute savage, and she had 27 in one round um, in that spot and and absorbed 48 and got finished. I don't know if I love it. I don't know if I love it. It didn't make my prize picks card, but you are prize picks, Pat. So who am I to do? who am I to uh, disagree with you? Uh, anything to add to that, Cody? No, like again, I think it, it could hit for certain. It could hit. Uh, I would be my just my personal opinion. I would be agreeing with Pat. Like I don't think Cynthia Covey is going to land over sixty if she goes out there and keeps it standing for fifteen minutes. She hasn't got the output right, and also Nina Nunes isn't exactly a super easy target to hit. You know, she moves her feet quite well. She stays at distance. She's in her mid thirties. She has a child. She's got money in the bank. She's not looking to go out there and get into a brawl. I don't think. And then likewise, if Cynthia Covey gets the fight to the ground, that's where it's super subjective. I've seen times where it's like, oh, man, this person landed 150 strikes. And it's like, well, how many did fight metric deem that were you know significant? How many did the actual metrics deem significant? Oh, like 42. It's like, well, why is that? It's like, because chipping away on the ground, you know, a little, little crack. Those little... don't count. No, 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 no one's actually jabs, counting those Jabs things, tend right? to not count on the, on the feet either. Jabs yeah, so on the feet and Nunes ground strikes, down. which is kind of dumb. Like, what constitutes a significant strike, but it's very subjective but again stand up it's like if i hit you with a jab uh you know a, a one two finish off with the light kick so it's a jab you know straight right down the middle and i finish off with a light kick well then you know you landed three shots when you're in the clinch i see this all the time right so fighter a is trying to take down fighter b okay he's got him pinned up against the cage fighter b's got his back up against the cage and he proceeds to punch fighter a 20 times in the face but it's not significant because well he's got his back up against the cage how much how much power can you generate doing this yeah quite a bit to be quite honest with you but all the same it's not deemed significant so sometimes with this ground and pound exchanges cynthia cavio's got lackluster cardio i don't think she's going to look to put a pace the only thing that could possibly happen is she's on a three-fight losing streak this is the end of the road for her she's so she's like highly motivated to put on some great fight and nina nunez is coming off of one fight in the last like four years and it wasn't a good one right so yeah like i think all of that's enough red flags to be like yeah pass pass probably on a prize pick standpoint pass on a betting standpoint but of course if you're looking for live underdogs and paul's talked about a number of them that are live this one i'm going to agree with i'm going to agree with and say the unions is definitely a live underdog in terms of pat's question with the with the under 60 uh prize picks for a uh, price pick significant strikes for Calvillo, I'm going to agree with him as well and go with the under. But in both scenarios, greasy, and you don't feel super confident about it. I don't need to take it. 
kind of thing. Yeah. I could just There'd see There'd be it. some better spots, I think. I think there are better spots. Um, I could see it being, yeah. I could see them both getting like o- around 80 or so on the feet pretty comfortably. Um, all right, let's 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 move on. We've got Ricky Tercios taking on Eamon Zahabi. Minus 185 Tercios, plus 160 for Zahabi. Zahabi came back from a two-year layoff uh, in 2021. And then he's followed it up with another like almost year and a half layoff um, since the Draco Rodriguez overhand right finish. Tercios, winner of the Ultimate Fighter, split decision win over Brady Highstand. Um, I don't know that Draco Rodriguez aiming to hobby win is so weird because it's like that's not typically what we see from. From him, obviously, a lot of Eamon Zahabi's win, like er- early in his career on the on the Quebec regional scene, it's like he's fighting like guys with losing records, guys with no records whatsoever. Um, I remember me and you went to uh, to what Slam One Slam in Montreal. Three. He was taking on Kyle Vivian. Kyle Vivian was staying at our hotel, and he was smoking <laughs> cigs like while we were out there smoking cigs. Like that's the level. That was his MMA debut back in 2012. So that dates us quite a bit here. But that just kind of <laughs> shows you like a lot of those early finishes in his career. I wouldn't read into it too much. His UFC career. You know, he's more of like a decision type of fighter. So I'm kind of interested in over two and a half rounds, minus 165. I think that's a half decent uh, uh, parlay leg um, right there. That's my most interest. Uh, that's what I'm most interested in. I want you to talk to me more about Ricky Tercios. Do you really like him in this spot? What do you expect from Zahabi? I, I'm really, really torn on what to do with this fight besides the over. Yeah, well, this is another case of just, like, what version of Zahabi is going to show up. And, like, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. Because it's always been a case of, like, the guy in the gym versus the guy in the cage. Guy in the gym, they used to tell us back in the day, like, yo, man, former WC champ Miguel Torres, you know, Nick Denis fought in the UFC briefly, uh, Yves Jean Boyne, WC veteran and UFC veteran. Like, these guys will go in there and spar with tri- with at TriStar with Eamon. And Eamon completely kills all of them, all talented guys. This striking is on another level. His jiu-jitsu is on another level. What he's able to do in the gym is on another level. This guy is top-notch. This is 10 years ago. He's going to the UFC. He's going to be the man. But then Eamon, right, younger brother of Faraz, Faraz like also manages him and is his head coach. And Faraz did not want the guy to fight. He's like, you should get an education. You should coach. You should find other ways to make money, not fight. Didn't really want him to fight. So if you look at his record, it's super wonky. He defeats Derek Charbonneau as an amateur. Derek Charbonneau... I think it was 0-6 as an amateur, and 0-1 as a pro. The loss as a pro is Robin Black. We were also at that fight, right? It's a Sam Slam 1 show. He he beats Kyle Vivian on that first show, right? Uh, does Eamon Zahabi. Kyle smoking. They tried to book a rematch with Derek Charbonneau to be his second pro fight. They're not looking to test themselves. In fact, they're looking to fight the absolute worst guys possible, and they're vocal about it. Trash cans. Guys that fighting out of their garage. So they get that. Phil DeChambeau, trained for a native reserve. He was 4-6 and six at the time. I think he's 4-9 and nine now. Wesley Bowman, very low level. Scott Farhat was 7-8 at the time, low level. All these guys are low level. He did beat Kyle Oliveira, who had a bad-looking record, was a talented fighter. But at no point are they looking to take any type of risk. And then he lands in the UFC. Uh, Faraz is vocal about the fact that like he's nervous about it. What's there to be nervous about? This guy beats UFC quality guys in the gym every single day. He had that fight with Reginaldo Vieira, UFC debut. He won. But did he? Fights in New Brunswick. 
right? It's close to his backyard because Montreal would have been, well, I don't know, six, ten hours, like far enough. But at the same time, it's in Canada. He's got a lot of fanship there. He's taking on a, a guy in Reginaldo Vieira, despite winning the Ultimate Fighter Brazil, is very, very limited. And he looked like absolute trash. Mm-hmm. Couldn't handle the pressure. Super low volume. Takedowns are non-existent. What's there to his game? There's nothing to his game. And it was that that moment it dawned on me. Yo, all these years people have been feeding me how good this kid is. And the one guy that does not believe in him is his own brother, who's his head coach and his manager. That's the guy that was like, don't fight in the UFC. Why do you think he made his debut in the UFC at age? Let me just bring it up officially. He's 29 years old. 29 years old, and at that point in his career, he was a a lead training partner for George St. Pierre. The gym was super hot. They had Rory McDonald. The UFC was bending over backward to cater to these guys. He trains with a plethora of UFC veterans. He's in the prime of his career. He's 29, and they sat him on the sidelines. He fought five full years on the regional show and fought seven times. Sorry, six times in five years. They didn't want him to be active. They didn't want him to fight good guys. He looked terrible against Reginald Vieira. Likewise, his second fight, you know, he's a fade waiting to happen, and he walks right into it, right? He loses the first round against Ricardo Ramos. Uh, he won the second round. He was working his way back into it, chipping away from the outside. Hands looked sharp, but at the same time, not a whole lot of volume. Edges out the second round. Third round, Ramos throws a spinning back fist or a spinning back elbow, misses by a mile as a hobby just runs face first right into a second spinning back elbow. Knocks about Dems to breaks, but didn't look good. The Vince Morales fight, the very next one, he throws absolutely no volume and proceeded to get outstruck by Vince Morales 59 to 28. Where's the volume? Where's the elite striking? Where's the where's the swagger? Where's the takedowns? All of it, not there. Terrible performance. And so him beating Draco Rodriguez was an anomaly because like he hasn't shown any glimpses of his potential. And then in that fight, it was like, oh shit. The dude actually is a good counterpuncher. He's got fast hands. He's got some power. He just never shows it to you. And in that one instance in Draco, he did. And what does he proceed to do, Paul? Take 16 months off. Now he's 34 years old and he's coming back. Like, is he a one-hitter quitter guy? Is his power that good? Is he just going to hit Ricky and put him away? Because the problem with Ricky Tercios is he comes at you. And the fight with on the contender series against Boston Salmon, he landed 110 significant strikes to 61, lost the decision. Comes back matures a little bit, lost again on the regional scene, and he got knocked out by Mana Martinez, who's got a ton of power. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Rolls from that onto the Ultimate Fighter. Looked okay. The guy's got infinite gas tank. He just goes at you hard the entire time. So now he drives a Brady Hines stand, and I actually end up picking Brady Hines stand. It was live underdog money. The guy's solid. The kid's like 22 years old. He's got good wrestling. Ricky can't stuff any takedowns. So like Brady's needs to put the pace on him. And it was a wild fight. You see where Ricky's super wild, but you see where he's got so much damn cardio, Paul. He just doesn't stop. So like the problem is that eventually he's going to wow the judges because his work rate is just second to none. And against Amon Zahabi, it'd be the same thing. Like Ricky's takedown defense is no good. Amon Zahabi's not exactly known for his wrestling. So if he doesn't take Ricky down, he's going to stand with him. Now he needs to catch him and he needs to knock him out. Because if he doesn't knock him out, he's looking to put up 30 40 significant strikes over 15 minutes. And Ricky's going to put up a buck, buck 10. The volume's eventually going to take over. I see Ricky making a lot of mistakes, all mistakes that Amos Ahabi could capitalize on, mm-hmm. right? But I mean, again, he fights so infrequently, once a year, sometimes shows up, sometimes doesn't show up. Not a good look. So I, I just, I can't get behind him. I want the 27-year-old kid who just won his UFC debut and just got handed the ultimate fighter crown, who's hungry and really wants this. 
than the 34-year-old guy that's kind of been protected for the large majority of his career, has skills, but the kind of guy that kick your ass on the street, you know, like unassuming, you know, who's this guy? Got legitimate martial arts skills. But taking on a fighter who's got also legitimate martial arts skills, sometimes he's just way too cool with hanging out, you know? Like guys like... um, like Israel Adesanya, people discredit him, right? Like, oh, it's so boring, it's so boring, because he's super risk-adverse. That's because he's very good. George St. Pierre was very good. He's very risk-adverse, right? His fights are boring because nothing really happens. Um, of course, your boy, Habib Nurmagomedov, the last little bit, he was so dominant, he would smoke guys. But prior to that, people said it was boring because he's risk-adverse. He just goes through the motions, takes them down. You take the least amount of uh, damage if possible. Eamon grew up in a gym with the best guys in the world. And TriStar was worth something back then. They had a good team together. And you see all these world-class guys, and then you realize, you see the guys get punchy. You see the guys take too much damage. And and Faraz is a, not a very good coach, but he's a good philosopher. He's got a good understanding of the game. He's got great philosophy. I think that gets instilled in you, that it's like, yo, this is the art of hitting and not getting hit. So even if you lose a fight, but you only get hit 30 times and your face is okay and you go home at the end of the night, that's a win. That's a win. That's how they think. So I think that's his mentality. And he fights like that's his mentality. He could catch you coming in like he did Draco Rodriguez. But if he doesn't, he's just going to try to Floyd Mayweather you from the outside. John Jones you from the outside. Israel Adesanya you from the outside. The difference is those guys are all special talents. Uh, this guy's not. So I think at some point the work rate from Tercios just takes over and Ricky uh, beats him down the stretch. Yeah, I was uh, prize picks. There's two things I'm just going to add before we move on. Prize picks, uh, Ricky Tercios' significant strikes is set at 80.5, which is relatively high when we were spoiled with some of those other numbers last week. Like, you know, Adesanya, 76 in a five-round fight. Gary, like around the same number. Um in a, a, I don't know, 80.5 seems a little bit high, but that's probably the way to go about it. And two, don't ever mention Eamon Zahabi and Habib's name in the same breath. Cause no, I said John Jones and I said Izzy and I said a lot of great You fighters. mentioned Habib at some point you, in you that long. think like that, but not long, perform like that. In that long diatribe, you named like half of the UFC roster. And Habib was one of them. You leave Habib and Eamon Zahabi... I, I know I know the point you were trying to make. I'm just I'm just trying to be funny. Maybe I'm not. All right, we got uh, Antonina Shevchenko taking on Courtney Casey. Antonina minus 160 favor. Courtney Casey can be had for plus 140. Both of these girls can't wrestle. Usually, both <laughs> get absolutely exploited in the wrestling. Antonina <laughs> has had some of her best success when she's had a grappling advantage over her opponent. I can't definitively say that she's a better wrestler than than Courtney Casey, but I think that it's, you know, you can't say that she's not a better wrestler. Like, you go through all, both of these girls' records. It's like every single time they take on somebody who can wrestle them, they get, they get mauled, right? It's like uh, Antonina versus Casey O'Neill taking down three times. Andrea Lee took her down three times. Lipsky... Sh- uh, Antonia flips the script. She's able to take her down, gets a second round TKO. Um, yeah, it really comes out. Caitlin Chikagian took down Antonina three times. Uh, Roxanne Modafferi took her down five times. But it's like they found the perfect opponent. They're like, if Courtney Casey takes you down, then I'm sorry, Antonina. You don't belong here. I think that they found a winnable fight for Antonina. I think that the line... Makes sense. 
probably relatively competitive on the feet, but I think Antonina's going to have a grappling advantage. Minus 160, Antonina Shevchenko. I don't know if I'm going to get there from a betting perspective. I'm going to watch weigh-ins. Maybe something crazy happens over the course of the week. Probably less so with Courtney Casey. He used to fight at 115 pounds, but... Yeah, I think I think Antonina is the player, and I think that she, you know, just putting in time with her sister should make her a better wrestler than Courtney Casey, and that's how she usually loses fights is her opponents take her down. So Antonina is the pick for me. What about you? Yeah, I got to go with Antonina as well. Again, women's MMA, so you don't want to be paying anything north of, you know, minus 200, but at minus 165, not a terrible price tag. And again, yeah, Antonina's world-class striking. She's a very solid striker. It's that you can drag her to the ground and generally the opposition that doesn't want to stand with her, the ones that are going to go through and beat her, take her to the ground, the path of least resistance. But there's no denying, like, I think we all loaded up pretty heavily on her or against her the last time out against Casey O'Neill, of course, because of the mm-hmm. grappling deficiency. But, like, she kicked the crap out of Casey O'Neill in the first round. She yep. looked good. Her striking was sharp. Everything was linear, straight down the pipe. Her wrestling looked pretty decent. She reversed position. She ended up on top. And she actually effectively outstruck uh, Courtney, uh, Casey O'Neill, sorry, 29 to 9 in the first round. Won in the first round. Now I'm thinking, why do I do this to myself? The takedown bailed us out, baby. It really did. Andrea Lee, same thing. Uh, Andrea Lee is a striker. Andrea Lee loses fights because people want to take her down. So Antonina went out there and gave her the fight she wanted. Let's strike. And what does Lee say? No, nah, I want to strike with this girl. I'm going to take her down. She's got good striking. She's good in the clinch. She's got good knees to the body. She's not a power puncher per se, even go back to her Muay Thai fights. Um, not a big KO ratio, like is someone that's generally going to fight you to a distance, but everything's sharp. Everything's good. It's technical. She's got excellent technique, excellent form. And her wrestling is just the kryptonite. And with Casey O'Neill, she shows uh, takedown accuracy of 27% in the UFC. She hasn't taken down somebody in a fair bit of time. She got taken down twice by Lillian Joshua in her last fight. Her wrestling is non-existent. She is a decent enough BJJ Brown belt. Her husband, uh, BJJ Black belt someone that's worked a lot on her grappling, but she's more like, you know, Chick Diaz. Like she likes to stand in front of you and like throw her hands up. Well, and, like, her, bait you into her husband like, now is uh Dracker close. Isn't it? Is it? Because like, I didn't want to say it was Mark. Cause was it Mark Sanchez was her husband before. Cause she used to be Courtney Casey Sanchez. Yeah. You know, I think they you? broke up. And they I broke she, up. I think she's married to, to Dracker. She's close. a Dracker close. Eh? I got to stay up to date on my MMA. Like you're, who you're out of the mix, who, bro. You know what I'm saying, well, the who dating who, cause like it's one second. It's like, Oh man, I thought, uh, uh, who's that scrub. It wasn't a scrub. He was like a gatekeeper guy. I was dating Kayla Harrison. Yeah, they're, I'm talking yeah, they're, they're... Uh, Rocco, Rocco Martin, right? Anthony Rocco Martin, right? Uh, one one minute, it's like he's dating Kayla Harrison. The next minute, he's pissing in a casino getting arrested for like a domestic. So it's like, what the hell's going on here, man? But I, I try to focus on the fights themselves. What the fight tells me here is Courtney Casey will just bait her into one of these battles. And Tina Shevchenko will be a little bit faster, a little bit sharper, stay to the outside at pointer. And I think Antonia Shevchenko probably does her research and realizes, yo, I got a slight wrestling advantage over her and I'm good enough to stay out of harm's way with the submissions on the ground. So strike for the first two, three minutes of the round, makes in the takedown and do enough to secure two of the three rounds on route to 29-28 or 3-27. So I will take Shevchenko. Uh, the minus 165, not bad, not great, but 100%. You're going to want to go ahead and hit that Shevchenko by decision because like Courtney Casey's durable, man. She got robbed on a split against jj aldrich close fight she got caught versus jillian robertson there was 14 there's 24 seconds left in that fight 24 seconds left she knew she was losing 
So she was like, YOLO, and just tried to scramble back up and gave up her neck. That was a bad move, knowing she was going to lose anyways, more than like she had actually got submitted. And then prior to that, she's gone the distance with everybody. Cynthia Calvillo, Angela Hill, Michelle Watterson, Felice Herrig, Jessica Aguilar, Claudia Gadelia. Like, she's super durable. She really is. So if you're going to take Antonina, Antonina sure as shit ain't going to submit Corny Casey, and I really don't think she's going to knock her out. Nobody's knocked her out. She stood and brawled with a lot of good punchers and like was showing off a good, pretty good durability. So I think you're going to want to improve that price tag by taking the Shevchenko by decision. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if they're married, but it says my emoji of like world at Dracker close hashtag King close on her, on her Instagram. And she's got like pictures. Yeah. As of May 9th, there was a picture of uh, the two of them. So they're, they're a happy couple. Just to, just, to yeah. keep, just to keep the people I, who care about those things uh, in the mix here. Yeah, see, I used to, I used to, you know, you know, pay attention to what's going on in the world. And uh, Jesse Jess Rose Clark, who is relevant, I guess, because she just shit in the bed again last weekend. But Jesse Jess Rose Clark's dating the dude from Australia with all the face tats. You know, remember he got knocked out in that viral video by, by, uh, yeah, it yeah. wasn't Daniel Nguyen. Who was his first? Ben Nguyen. Ben Nguyen, Ben 10 Nguyen, yeah, uh, Tiger Top Team, or um, Tiger Muay Thai, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Ben 10 Nguyen absolutely wrecks him in that, like, huge viral video, and it was like, then he ends up, the dude, whose name's uh, Julian Redbow, Jules the Jackal, he ends up going to jail, because he assaults Jesse Jess Rose Clark, because she brought home the wrong noodles, then he's getting tried in, like, Australia or New Zealand, bails out, moves to Team Alpha Male, gets knocked out by Cody Garbrandt's cousin, right, this Austin Mies kid, uh, who's in at the gym, knocks him out, then he floats around, and then he starts dating Raquel Pennington. Or sorry, not Raquel Pennington, uh, Ashley Evan Smith. <laughs> and, like, at that point, shit went off the rails, and a bunch of people start messaging him, like Fleece Herrig and all them, being like, yo, this guy's dangerous, like, don't do it, blah, 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 blah. And at that point, I was like, yo, life is too goddamn short to be paying attention to what the hell these people are up to in their private life. You want to make some money? Let's watch some tape, figure out what's going on. But the rest of it, dude. I'll tell you one thing. When I was a kid, right? When I was a kid, my mom and dad, best people on the planet. And they'd be like, you can do whatever you want. Watch TV, play games, go outside, play with your friends. Whatever you feel makes you happy. Do whatever you want. One catch, one catch, one hour, every single night, between four o'clock to five o'clock. You got to watch The Young and the Restless. I grew up on that stuff. 15, 16 years. Jack Abbott, Victor Newman, Nick Newman, Nikki Newman, Sharon. Sharon's always bouncing guy to guy. Phyllis, she's completely whack. Brad Carlton, he ends up dying. It was whack. It was whack. But it also gives it you a good realization of just like the soap operas. It happened in real life. And who's dating who? I don't got time for that. My brain's only got enough room for so much. And uh, that, that falls to the bottom of the list. Also, Young and the Restless, not a bad show. I was just going to say, rule of thumb for my life is always be wary of people with face tats because they're willing, they've made, they, they're willing to make some bad decisions and that could transfer over to what happens with you. Trishan Gore takes on Cody Brundage. Trishan Gore minus 135 favorite. Brundage can be had for plus 115. I thought Gore was pretty good coming off of the ultimate fighter. He really, really, you know, his, uh, you know, the, the fight against Brian Battle was a big-time letdown. Didn't let his hands go. Brundage is coming in on short notice here. I jumped in on Trishan Gore at minus 110. It's the only bet I've got on the card right now. Number is moving. I wouldn't line it much much more than, like, minus 150, to be perfectly honest. 
So like where the number is moving right now, it's like minus 135 can be had. Some books even already have it at minus 150. I don't know if there's that much value on it. But yeah, just the combination of, you know, Brundage got absolutely mauled by Nick Maximov. Follow that up against Dalka, where he almost got finished. Like that was a pretty lucky sub for him to pull off in that spot. I just think Trishan Gore is going to have a little bit of a bounce back. I mean, he's three and one. The guy's super, super inexperienced. Am I going to be shocked if I lose this bet? I mean, I lost all of my bets last week. So if I lose this one, not going to be entirely shocked. But uh, I'm on Gore, minus 110. Um, But yeah, the line is moving. And I don't, past minus 150, I don't think I would even stomach it. It wouldn't have been a bet for me. But uh, Gore for me, what about you? Yeah, I think it's low level. It's another fight that you're just going off a lot of assumptions more than anything. Gore looks like the better athlete. The dude's just raw, whole lot of power. And yeah, I'll admit, he looked, a good, he looked pretty good as an amateur. Picked up a couple decent wins. He beat uh, Tennis uh, Saracino, who's a decent pro now. And then Robert Hale, who's a pretty decent pro now. So it's like, as an amateur, he was pretty decent. And then, of course, lands on the Ultimate Fighter. He's undefeated, beats Ryder Newman. Melted Gilbert Urbina. That was a solid performance from him. And then pulls out due to an injury. So Brian Battle ended up winning the Ultimate Fighter, but everybody was like, dude, Gore kind of looked like the best prospect from that series, so run it back, Gore versus Battle. They did, and he loses. But to like his credit, again, like you said, that was his fourth pro fight, and I think he had four amateur fights. Brian Battle, meanwhile, that was his eighth pro fight, and the dude had nine amateur fights. So like Brian Battle's got way more experience. He's already made his UFC debut. He's won the Tough Crown. His body's not banged up. It's a tough ask for, for Gore. But like you're saying, he didn't let his hands go at all. In fact, he just allowed Brian Battle to just use long combinations from the outside and just kickbox him from long range and allowed the volume to, to chip away at him. Uh, he also kind of got controlled up against the cage in a lot of situations. Like He wasn't as physically strong as I thought he was going to be. But he's young, he's immature, and he's got some ways to develop. All of that probably going to be an issue against Cody Brundage, who, again, is strong, he's physical, he wrestled collegiately. He's fought some decent enough guys. I just got this bad feeling that he's going to get clipped. Like, Brundage's chin's not that good. When he fought William Knight in the Contender Series, he got an early takedown. He presses Knight up against the cage. He gets a, I believe it's like a low ankle pick. Takes him up, you know, a little bit of ground and pound. William Knight explodes back up, hits him with a few good shots, and Brundage, like, froze up. And, of course, you know, he ends up getting stopped by TKO, like, less than a, I think it was like two minutes, 22 seconds or something into the first. Not a great look. The Maximov fight, Maximov doesn't throw punches. Like, his whole game is just wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. So, Brunridge could put his collegiate wrestling to good use in that fight, but uh, he got out-wrestled. Close fight. Could have gone either way. Round but three, he kinda did get round three started to come on. But, yeah, he was getting mauled the first two rounds. I don't think... Yeah, yeah Gore's not going to do that Maximov's to him. Don't gas. get me wrong. It was a bad fight. And then and then you get the Dolce-Lungambulia fight, where it's like, okay, well, Dolce is very one-dimensional, but Dolce was beating him from pillar to post. Some refs would have stopped it. Certainly a terrible ref like Mark Smith would have. Uh, n- not a good look. He is on skates. He's wobbly. <laughs> Dolce completely gasses himself out, gets caught in a guillotine choke. So mm-hmm. impressive win in that Brunridge won. And I think Brunridge was like the PRP pick or like the second from the bottom. It's like we picked him as a slight underdog in a fight that could have been 50-50. And it was 50-50. He got his absolute ass kicked and then, you know, got a Hail Mary and guillotine choke out of it. So is that a good performance or is that a bad performance? I'm not so sure. One thing I'll admit is that it looked like his chin was okay and that he was getting rocked, but he kept with it, right? He could still see what was coming. He was still trying to intelligently defend himself the entire time. So you want to give him a pass in that regard. On the other hand, like Gore's big, strong, explosive. He trains with the Lima brothers over in uh, Georgia. 
he's one of these guys that eventually his skill is, is his experience is going to match up to that skill and he's going to put some hands on somebody. And I just got a bad feeling that Brunridge is not going to just go out there and easily take him down. And if he doesn't take him down, he's probably going to stand in front of him and throw some pitter patter strikes back and he's going to get caught with something. So I'm leaning towards Gore. But yeah, I mean, again, this is a minus minus, minus one thirty five, like you said, trending towards that minus one fifty gore. Do I see him getting the job done? Yeah, but am I super confident in it? No. We're going on what ifs his potential is realized. But if you go back from this, literally his last fight against Brian Battle, he does not look good. No, and that's he's four fights into his pro career. Like, it's not the kind of guy you want to invest money. I say this all the time. People will say. Dude, you know, you put Fiziev higher than Rafael. You put Kyle Baraha higher. You put Said Nurmagomedov. Like, you know, those guys are way higher. Like, don't don't you don't you like someone like Gore? It's like Gore might have the stylistical clash. But what do you know about Gore? If I told you, does this guy got a good chin? It'd be like, I don't know. Be like, does this guy got good cardio? I don't know. Is this guy a good striker? Jeez, I don't know. Right? Is there anything about this getting heart for days? Is he has some like X factor? Is he gonna go out there and be like, dude, I am willing to go out there on my shield? Because that counts for something. That Armin Petrosian guy, you know, part of the reason bet him against Robocop, like, dude is willing to die in there. And you know what happened in the fight itself? Dude was willing to die in there. He got his face shattered, his mm-hmm. nose is broken, there's blood everywhere. Dude's on his back with a rear naked choke locked in, and he fights his way through it. Those are the guys you can get behind. A Josh Emmett, right? A Josh Emmett, you know, he's big plus money. I didn't bet it. I took Calvin Cater. God damn it. Josh Emmett, the guy's going to go and go out for you, you know? His face is wrecked, but it's like he's in it to win it. You can back on those guys. A Gore, like, he's four fights into his pro career coming off a loss to Brian Battle. It's a lot of what-ifs if I want to confidently back him. And on the flip side to that, I got Cody Brunwich, a little more seasoned, you know, wrestling's okay. Um, I would say his cardio is probably a little bit better. The way that Brunridge, or sorry, the way that Gore was so easily handled in the clinch against Brian Battle, I would say Brunridge could have a lot of success there too. He's got a bad, like, gut feeling deep down that Brunridge is going to get clipped and get KO'd. So I think I'm leaning towards Gore, but if I needed a dog play, like, Brunridge wouldn't be the worst, I don't think. Plus 115, just not enough. I mean, I'm not offering you a shoey in that type of situation. Nah, if no, you want I Brundage, I would I wouldn't wait. want one either, to be honest no. with you. It's just low-level, low-level no, stuff. The money right? I have invested, I've got CLV on it, but uh, honestly, like, it's moving to minus 150. It's just like that 8% edge from, like, minus 110 to minus I, – I capped it at minus 150, basically. I'm like, ah, it seems like 60-40. I would lean towards Gore just because Brundage is coming in on short notice. And I thought Gore was pretty good coming off of Ultimate Fighter, and he just didn't show himself in that fight it's against fair. Brian Battle. That's really where it came down to, but uh, we'll, we'll find out on Saturday night. Next up, we got Kennedy and Juku taking on Carl Roberson, minus 140 and Juku, plus 120. Roberson, what's your take here, bud? Yeah, so again, the, I think a lot of the reason why people don't like this card is not from an entertainment standpoint, because this is going to be a fun card from an entertainment standpoint. Is that like, who do these guys do you trust? Who, who in this card is it like, that's a guy that I can get behind? Not <laughs> exactly. a whole lot. <laughs> this is another fight where it's just much of the same. It's just like, oh man, like I've got Kennedy and Jaku on one hand. He's six foot five with an 83 inch reach. Dude's an absolute specimen. If he was able to figure out how to put those skills to good use and use them properly, he'd be an absolute unit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he'd, he'd defeat a lot of guys. Nine-inch advantage in this spot. 
Yeah, and he always has got a huge reach advantage. And but he doesn't really again, have I, I like very... a jab to fight behind, which if you have that reach, you should be using, using I would think. He doesn't have much. Like, he was always a work in progress on the Contender Series. He wins his first fight against Anton Burzin. They don't sign him. Comes mm-hmm. back and he beats Dennis Bryant. They sign him. He fights Paul Craig. I thought he won the first two rounds, if we're being honest. And then he gets caught in triangle choke. <laughs> of course, by Paul Craig uh, with, like, I don't know, 40 seconds left in the fight. So it was a slip-up, mental lapse, in a fight that he was otherwise winning. Didn't look terrible. The loss aged quite good because Paul Craig's the man and, you know, triangle choke is specifically his weapon. So it's like there's there's something that can be worked on here, right? Beats Darko Stosic, but taken down four times. Not a great fight. He looked at Carlos Alberg, but got wrecked in the first round before Alberg gassed out. Not a great fight. The Daniel Marquez fight. Daniel Marquez is an absolute putz. You know, not much happened for the first early going, and then he puts him in the third. He's winning. He's getting more comfortable. It just doesn't seem like he's actually improving. Like I don't know what the deal is, but just doesn't really like feel comfortable in there. So he gets Dong Jung. He's never been knocked out before. He's got a good chin. Dong Jung's largely a striker. This is a good uh, coming out party for Kennedy. And he got clipped. He got clipped early. He looked bad, you know, elbow over the top, kind of put him on skates. He never recovered from there. And he got knocked out by Dong Jung. The next fight against uh, Nikolai Negamarianu, I loaded up on Kennedy for the simple fact that, yeah, I mean, he was, Three and one in his last four. Had a three-fight losing streak just snapped. Darko's fights as heavyweight now. Olberg has won his last two fights in the UFC and looked tremendous his last time out. Mm-hmm. You know, Izzy's buddy. Daniel Marquez is a bum, but he's got a way of beating guys, and at least Kennedy was able to beat him. Well, he was you know, able I, to beat him because Marquez tired himself out from buddy, riding buddy his back. It. Riding the backpack for two rounds. I was on Danilo Marquez there by submission. So it was like two rounds of me watching him. I was just like, oh, my God, this is going to. And then as soon as they got into round three, it was just like he was just completely spent, just got iced. It was was really painful, really painful to watch. It was was painful stuff, man. And then you got, of course, the uh, Nikolai Negamarianu fight, which – you know, it's just weird for for many ways. Uh, but but again, the first two rounds are like ultra competitive. Like uh, he's getting outstruck in p- times, and then the third round he wrecked Negamarianu, but he also lost a point due to an eye poke. When you have a nine inch reach advantage, you tend to go hands open a lot, and so he paused with his fingers open a lot. He did get the eye poke. Uh, this is a super sloppy fight. The thing is, is it still should have been a Kennedy and Jakku fight. He won all three rounds. Not on. Not only that, with the point deduction, you know, it's a worst-case scenario. It's a draw, right? Maybe he lost one of the first two, but he owned the third round. That one's the draw round because of the point deduction. So, I, I don't know. The fact that it got scored the way it did is kind of like left a bad taste in my mouth. I, I To be honest, I lost a lot of money on that spot, and it, I thought we won, but I also realized then and there, this dude is dead to me. Like, the first two rounds, he's just pitter-pattering away. He's got no killer instinct. For a guy that's that big, he's got no real devastating power-punching abilities. He waits way too long to get going. I mean, he's lucky Ulberg gassed and he took over. He's lucky that... You know, Darko gassed. He's lucky that Daniel Marquez gassed. But when Nick Nigamarianu gassed and he couldn't put him away, he found himself down around. Or I guess the point deduction really did hurt him. But all the same, there's just not enough substance there. And he's still young. He's still improving. He's only 30 years old. He trains at a good gym in Fortis MMA. He's got excellent training partners around him. It's just like his ability to cause it to click just just isn't there. Losing to Nigamarianu, again, just... I would find it hard to go back to this guy and bet him with any type of confidence. Now, the problem with Carl Roberson is very much much of the same. You know, he's super talented. Here's a guy that fought, I believe it was Jerome LeBanner. 
back in the day, like as a pro kickboxer, his striking is good. He's got a lot of good stuff going for him. And then he just makes these terrible decisions in yeah. there. Like, uh, you know, he was beating up Glover Texair quite decent. Actually had him in some bad spots. But the Wellington Terman fight, right? Wellington Terman's a one-dimensional grappler. And yet he engages him in those grappling exchanges, kind of trying to prove a point, I guess. He tries to make those same points in some other fights. Like, uh, well, he gets choked out by Marvin Vittori. Then you remember the Brandon Allen fight? He falls back on a heel hook. Mm-hmm. And Brandon Allen grabs a heel hook and just heel hooks him. What yeah. are you thinking? What are you possibly thinking? You're a glory I'm kickboxer, gonna go in and bro. Like, yeah, I'm fighting Brandon Allen. And I'm going to go in there and fall back on a leg lock. Like, So his grappling is wrestling, you know, work in progress, striking not bad. But like his ring IQ is just non-existent. And then he gets Khalil Roundtree. And it's like, well, you know, this would be kickboxer versus kickboxer. Uh, the thing with Roundtree, and again, we can talk about him on another time next time he fights, is like he's one of these guys that either shows up fat and out of shape and depressed on his couch eating potato chips, not that good, or dude shows up motivated. What's his name now? Uh, Bangkok Ready? That dude shows up, you got some problems on your hands because Khalil Roundtree is a monster of a man. He just deals with like confidence issues at times. Well, unfortunately for Carl Robertson, he ran into a Khalil Roundtree that was like highly motivated and frothing at the mouth. So, not a good night for him, but I can't take away from him. Khalil Roundtree, Brandon Allen, Marvin Vittori, those are all guys that I would consider, you know, high-level competition. Kenny and Jaku, how does this fight stays out? Okay, well, the big reach advantage would be for Kennedy, but at the same time, Carl Robertson's a much better striker. I mean, he's got better kickboxing. He's a better counterpuncher. He's a little sharper. He's going to have the leg kicks there for him. The wrestling hasn't been there for him in terms of you don't want to be taking down Brandon Allen, you don't want to be grappling out with, you know, high-end guys in the division. But against Kenyon Jaquu, you probably could get away with, you know, wrestling a little bit, using your combinations, using your striking, using your wrestling. Down the stretch, advantage, probably Kennedy. Durability, I would say probably Kennedy. But that being said, Kennedy getting knocked out by Dong Jung, I don't know that his chin's all that good. No. Alberg had a massively rock. Like, it's possible you can get to the money here. He's very hittable against Carl Alberg. Robertson... Say it again? He was very hittable against Alberg. Super hittable, especially in that early go until Ulber gassed himself out. And then, yep. of course, you know, the Dong Jung fight. And then again, the Nick Nick and Marianu fight, the first two rounds are like competitive. Like this guy, this Romanian dude has been in Vegas for like six weeks and he's learned entirely how to throw punches in the last six weeks that he's been in Las Vegas. He could not strike. His striking is no good. And yet he overcomes like a seven inch reach advantage to punch Kennedy in the face, you know, 60 times through 10 minutes. Like what is going on here? Not good. Not yeah. good. So I would say if Carl Robertson's going to be able to get to the money, I think he's a little more refined. I need his durability to stand out, uh, to hold up a little bit. And then you need to mix in a couple takedowns if can be. But yeah, again, you got to take a couple underdogs here and there. Plus 120, I'll take Carl Robertson. But uh, the confidence level, as you can probably tell, not like it's like super high or anything. I'll take Kennedy and Juku as my pick. Will not be betting that whatsoever. I think over 47 and a half significant strikes for him is very low, though. I know Roberson in a lot of his fights gets iced very early from to- terrible decisions that he makes. <laughs> Forty-seven and a half seems like a pretty easy number for Kennedy to clear, so he's on my he's on my Prize Picks card. What up, Pat? Well, you guys were talking through it. I was looking at the Prize Picks, and I actually looked at the other two. The way that you guys were talking about it, it does seem like the over of one and a half rounds in this fight is almost minus two hundred now. So the overtime on Prize Picks is ten minutes. So does this go to the third round? I mean, sounds could. sounds like it. And Carl Robert Roberson, whatever the hell this guy's name is, he doesn't have a takedown in his last five fights. 
Yeah. yeah it's yeah, under one and a fair. half. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I know. That's actually the, the Roberson takedowns. The last time you got to that number was against Jack Marshman, who is like arguably the worst <laughs> wrestler in the UFC's yeah. middleweight or middleweight history. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, Roberson's takedown. But like, and Roberson's supposed to be like a glory kickboxer. It's a weird spot because I could definitely see Roberson mixing in some takedowns as Cody was alluding to. I just don't know if he's going to consistently do it. I went with the, yeah, the Kennedy, Andrew Ku. Uh, I, I don't mind that takedowns angle as well, though. Um, I definitely wouldn't take Roberson over to, like, because you need two takedowns. Like, he hasn't done that since Marshman, as I was saying. I think Kennedy on prize picks, 47 and a half significant strikes. Like, he could get there in a round and a half and still lose the fight. It's always it seems just like submission is like the real way to get him out of there. But you're right, he did get knocked out his last fight against Khalil Roundtree, a big boy. Kenji Koo, also a big boy. But here's how like of an unforgiving sport MMA is. You got Carl Roberson was this close to knocking out uh, Glover Texera, this close. He's got him done with those elbows, and then Glover falls on top of him and he gets submitted. Fight hits the ground, not so good. But the UFC's done a tremendous job here of taking two guys with questionable ring IQ, questionable decision-making skills, limited ground games, limited wrestling, and paired them up against each other. So to pass point, the under one and a half from the takedowns for Roberson actually does look quite good. To Paul's point, the over, was it 60 that they set it at? 47, 47 and a half. This is going to be a kickboxing match for the better part of 10 minutes. So, and I he's mean, got a nine-inch re- nine reach advantage. That seems uh, a little bit off. And to answer Pat's final question, I don't think that's actually a great one, the 10 minutes. It's because uh, I'm looking at uh, a book out there that has fight starts round three, and that's lined at minus 125. So, yeah, so they've, they've, they priced that one pretty good, I would say. But uh, I think, yeah, you could have two, like, as I said, like one and a half rounds and Kennedy could still get over that number. Um, and I think it's really, yeah, really tough fair. to trust Carl Roberson to get over two takedowns. So my per- personal pick that's on my card is uh, over 47 and a half significant strikes. I told Pat at the beginning of this program that this would be a very short show. And I lied. Because uh, coming up next, we've got uh, Ronnie Lawrence, Cody's boy, taking on Saeed yeah. Yokob Kakramanov, minus 140 Lawrence, plus 120 Kakramanov. Ronnie Lawrence, absolutely brilliant to watch. Love his wrestling, love his tenacity, love his pace. Like, it's so beautiful. I was victory lapping so hard after round two against Mano Martinez. Oh my God, can't believe they gave me this price. Oh my God, this is such easy money. And then Mana Martinez nearly deaded the guy. It was, uh, my butt was fully puckered, Cody. Um, I think Saeed Yokov Kagramanov is a legitimate, uh, a legitimate fighter. Very, very good, talented, all around skill set. Uh, uh, first time I was ever in- introduced to him was like his fight against uh, Umar many years ago. And he held his own quite well against cousin Umar. I thought that was pretty impressive. My worry with your boy, Ronnie Lawrence, is I'm not... Sh- after that, I know Mano Martinez hits hard. But, like, after that, I'm a little... I'm not very trusting of him, Cody. Um, right now, my thought is it seems like the line keeps moving towards Ronnie Lawrence. Late in the week, I'm going to scoop up Kakramanov. Tell me where your thoughts are on this one, though. 
Yeah, yeah, Ronnie Lawrence is my boy. I got to go with Ronnie one more time around. I mean, the guy is just super talented, and then he's gone full-time at American Top Team, and I think that's when you're seeing the improvements really come out of his game. He wasn't really known for his wrestling all that much, more of a striker, uh, good footwork, dynamic on the outside, speedy, decent output. But the wrestling is something he's really a wrinkle that he's added to his game in the last, you know, couple of fights, and it's really taken over as, like, his dominant martial art. He's got a win over Garrett Armfield, who I guess we'll talk about because he's popping in as a short-nosed replacement against uh, David Onana later on. Um, the Jose Johnson fight, dude, we cashed in. He was plus 260 as an underdog against Jose Johnson in the contender series. I was like, yeah, this Ronnie Lawrence kid's legit. I remember you messaged me. I was like, yo, Lawrence is the underdog of the card. Put the tweet out. Lawrence goes out and just phenomenal. Wrestling's on point. Chain wrestling. Aggressive. Cardio's good tenacious on like a dog on a bone on and on him on him on him on him gets the victory Vince Shero, much of the same Ronnie Lawrence all of a sudden wants to wrestle and he wrestles quite well goes in the Cachero fight takes him down eight times gets a third round TKO never let up from buzzer to buzzer never let up drowns him eventually the Manny Martinez fight looks awesome for the first two rounds and then you're 100% right he gets clipped bad he ends up getting dropped twice in the third he's in survival mode he's dancing He's trying to stay out of there. Maybe that's not the greatest performance for him, but a couple things. One, Ronnie Lawrence has, hasn't really had much adversity in the last little bit. So he got caught being cute. He won the first two rounds. He was comfortable. He took his foot off the gas. He got clipped. The other thing is that Manny Martinez doesn't have like the prettiest looking record. But this dude's a beast, man. His wins are 32-second knockout, one-minute knockout, 52-second knockout, 259 of the first round, 24 seconds of the first round, 225 of the first round, two minutes of the second round, 52 seconds of the second round as an amateur five and one those five wins you ask minute 21 of the first round 56 seconds of the first round 249 of the first round 30 seconds of the first round and 12 seconds of the first round this man a martinez guy hits hard so i i want to give ronnie a pass he was doing the right things unfortunately he went out and he got clipped when he got clipped he didn't roll over he didn't shell up no. he didn't quit he fought for your he money he got yeah, he got down and pulled out his lunchbox and said, okay, it's time to do this damn thing. He danced for us, right? And so that's something that I'll always appreciate, guys. And especially with someone who's 30 years old, he's on a long winning streak. He's never been finished his entire career. Only one losses to a UFC veteran, Steve Garcia, in a Bellator fight six years ago. He's at American Top Team now. You could show me the skills, but you got to show me the heart once in a while. He showed me a little bit of heart there, right? With Sayukub uh, Kakramanov, complete beast as well i know you'll remember this fight he fought umar Nurmagomedov for pfl in 2018 and this kid looked good man he gave uh umar Nurmagomedov all types of trouble and of course you were driving not riding driving the uh umar Nurmagomedov bandwagon so like you know how talented he is Kakramanov mm -hmm. gave a legitimate account of himself in that fight did get cut against pipe vargas it's a fight he's not doing terrible in third round flying knee and since then he's been solid here's my issue is that you go back and you watch that Trevin Jones fight, which he does come on a short notice, but he gets controlled in the clinch quite often by Trevin Jones, first and foremost. He also does give up a takedown to Trevin Jones, which I think is who's just far less of a takedown threat than a guy like Ronnie Lawrence. And then on top of that is that his uh, his volume seems to be super low. Like, it's just the one fight, but 36 significant strikes landed over nearly the course of 15 full minutes. and ended up being, I think, third. yeah, I mean, it was... 21 seconds away from from going the distance when he caught him right so his striking looked uh, low output his 
you know, yeah. his wrestling defense looked okay. Physically in the clinch, it didn't look like he was super strong. And so none of that bodes well for a fight against Ronnie Lawrence, who figures to probably shoot somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 takedowns. He's going to be continuously trying to grind on you. He probably does get some of them to the ground. As far as being in the clinch go, I think he's a little bit stronger than Kakramanov in the clinch, and he'll have success. As far as kickboxing at range goes, he's got way more volume. He throws in combinations. Kakramanov is more of a one-and-done kind of guy. So he was taking that last fight against Trevin Jones on short notice. So unless he's going to come to the table with a lot more in his bag of tricks, like I just don't know that he gets it done. So uh, it's too bad that that's Ronnie Lawrence. It's too bad that that fight against Kelleher didn't happen. We'd have a lot more. We just have a lot more answers about uh, Kakramanov probably won't get and it's there. It's not as if he got hurt. He had COVID. So it's like, you know, he's probably fine. And this kid's probably a stud. He, he's young too, right? He's 26 mm-hmm. years old. Like chances are, he's going to come in as a much better version, but For sure. you go back and look at 26 year old Ronnie Lawrence, talented, still prone to make a few mistakes. His last loss 2016 when he was, you know, young guy. We got decision loss against Steve. I know, I know. Trust me, not a great look. Steve Garcia has some okay wins in the bag, but uh, not not all that good. What I'm getting at, though, is that like for the difference between 26 to 30, uh, those have been the best years for Ronnie Lawrence. All of his biggest wins, right? Training down yeah. American top team, getting the opportunities. That's his real development. Kakramanov, very bright future. Very, very bright future. I think at this very moment, it's it's a little bit much of an ask. And That's, I know you and I complain about this every week, but I just I feel the need to say it one more time. Why is this buried on the prelims? Oh like, man, it does a really good fight. In one of my group chats, I was saying that this is like you know, skill for skill, this is one of one of the best fights on the card. Like, I mean, Douglas Silva did Andrade versus Saeed. Like, maybe you can pump them ahead because you know, Douglas Silva de Andrade has held a job in this promotion for so long. Um but honestly, Sydney yeah. Calvillo, Nina Nunez, honestly, and Jared outs- outside of Saeed versus oh. Douglas, like I'm not, you know, Kyo versus Armin Petrosian doesn't really make sense being the co-main event as far as I'm concerned. But, yeah. you know, yeah. they, they hate those little guys. Uh, I do have uh, Ronnie Lawrence over three and a half takedowns on my prize picks uh, uh, flex play here. Um, so that's the five. So I've got Kennedy and Juku over 47 and a half significant strikes. Ronnie Lawrence over three and a half takedowns. Jared Vanderaa over 51 and a half significant strikes. Kyle Barallo over one and a half takedowns. RDA over two and a half takedowns. Obviously, that's a five round fight. Overgang for here $100 pays $1,000. Use promo code. DOP if you want to tail or fable. Fade at your own peril because it's the only thing I did right last week. And okay. finally, we've got uh, David Onama taking on Garrett Armfield. Fight was just added to the card this afternoon. Um, there is one book that has a, a a price out on it right now. Let me just refresh the old page. My, minus 700. Minus 700 plus 450. Um, it opened up at minus 500. Apparently, these guys had already fought. Um, way back when Onama's been a guy that I've really liked. I've backed him in both of his fights so far, but minus 700, even if this guy's coming, the guy he's taking on is coming in on short notice. Like that's just a absurd price tag, um, for someone who's so, uh, you know, new in their career, like David Onama. When did these guys fight? 
Um, oh, it was no. an amateur fight. It's his last amateur fight. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, 2018, which isn't that long ago, but they fought on the Can- uh as amateurs on the the Kansas City regional scene. Um, do you have any hot takes on Garrett Armfield here? Their code. No, no. Well, honestly, the fight just got announced like I think yesterday, so I hadn't really looked at it. Garrett Armfield. The only thing I'm like familiar with him is uh he fought a guy i know personally okay well he fought ronnie lawrence he lost the decision to ronnie lawrence at lfa 67 mm-hmm. you can see that his grappling is definitely a work in progress and then he fought mateo vogels from ottawa ontario so i had watched that one at cfc cffc 95 and uh again i i just i don't think he's ufc quality currently right now uh, someone that could build into that but just you know he's kind of a step behind he's only at the time then he would have been it's 2021 it's last year because 24 years old he fights a lot man he turned pro in 2018 he's been pro for four years and this is his 10th fight that's not too many i guess but it's you know in the last couple 2021 he fought twice 2021 he fought three times 2022 this is the second fight of the year so he's staying active but you can just see he's very green he's learning on the job mateo vogel ends up submitting him in the second round again this kid will probably make it to the show eventually but a work in progress and then he moves out to kill cliff fc which i'm sure wasn't called that at the time but it's called that now and so i don't know i'm sure he's trying to take his game to the next level i did watch his last fight against stephen graham but it's only what 31 seconds he able to just catch him pretty early and put him away so you know what does he bring into the table well the thing with david onama is he just brings all types of weapons I mean, his footwork is just awesome his mobility is very very solid of course as an amateur the kid went 10 and 0 as an amateur including beating garrett armfield by unanimous decision yeah. Fair. very long turns for... pro yeah yeah go ahead no i was just gonna say david Olnam was really really long i was again i i bet him as a big underdog against mason jones he made that I fight know. In, and made I that fight mason interesting jones. and then we had a really playable it was a playable flight price i think he was like minus 150 against gabriel mowgli benitez and uh, and he came through for us. Uh, I think he's really really good and only making improvements. So, but I, I I legit know nothing about this Armfield kid. Well, Armfield is just again he's limited. I think he's going to come at him. He's pro- he's more probably more of a striker. I just don't think he's going to be able to uh, line him up. And 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 again with with David Onama, it's like he's fought in good competition. He's very dynamic. We fought Mason Jones. I thought you were nuts, man. Taking David Onama. He was like plus five hundred. It was absurd. Yeah, I, 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 watched, I watched I watched his regional tape and I'm like, this guy looks like he could end up being good. That's and, really and, all it was. Right? He's 10 and 0 as an amateur, and he was 7 and 0 as a pro at that point. So he's rocking a 17 fight winning streak coming into his UC debut. But I think you're nuts, dude. I really do. He outstruck Mason Jones in two of the three rounds. He outstruck him in the fight total. He gave up eight takedowns. Damn, he was good at getting back up. This guy's wily, explosive. Third round, I'm like, okay, no way this kid on on making his debut on short notice, young, is going to be able to keep up with this pace. Mason Jones is going to finally take him over in the third round. Kid kept with it the entire time. It looked like he's going to be decent. Decent enough that everybody says, let's hit him with that flyer over Gabriel Benitez. Uh, You know, a a solid veteran of the sport, but perhaps getting a little bit long in the tooth. And Onama just buzzsawed right through him. He's very hard to put hands on. He moves well from the outside. Takedown defense, definitely a work in progress. But Garrett Armfield's not going to take him down. Garrett Armfield's already fought this man, wasn't able to track him. This would be much of the same. When the UFC calls you and they say, do you want to make your UFC debut? You'll fight anybody. You win the distance with this kid. But the main thing is I'm going to sign a contract, which is going to be a four-fight deal. I'll fight him again. Win or lose, I'll probably get my other three fights. That's why you do it. 
He's 25 years old. No doubt Garrett Armfield's willing to sign on the dotted line. But that doesn't necessarily make him ready for it. Uh, you got David Onovan was going to take on Austin Lingo. Fun fight, but he would have chewed up Lingo. It was a good spot for him. UFC knows what they're doing. This kid's got a bright future. Instead, you're just going to run back a quick little rematch against Armfield because he's out of Kill Cliff FC, and they've got a whole you know whole roster of guys that we use. So we're willing to toss the guy a bone and sign him to the promotion, but Onama chooses him up. Here's the problem. Everything I just told you, Bookie knows it. You know it. In my 700, you said, like, that's a bad line, dude. I'm sure we missed it. But it was a soft opener. They probably give you a soft opener. A couple people hit it. Minus 500 was the opener. Yeah, yeah and it's team 200 points overnight, right? So it was a, probably a soft opener. They minus disrespecting 500. Dave. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And you're disrespecting Garrett Armfield at minus 700 because it is a fist fight at the end of the day. But we've seen his limitations. And the fact that he's not an adequate enough grappler to take Onama down, he's going to be forced to stand with him. He tried that once already. Didn't work out for him. And this will be much of the same. Can he last? Another decision? We don't have that prop, eh? It's probably not out, I bet. No, there's no props out for this yet. There's no prop out yet. This is the one thing that I would say maybe keep an eye on. Like, I understand the kids taking it on short notice is Garrett Armfield, but if you're David Onama, you got a spectacular track record of first-round finishes, right? You beat Gabriel Benitez with the first-round knockout. Your fights prior to that, uh, right before he came to the UFC, two minutes, 12 seconds of the first round, 44 seconds of the first round. 348 of the first round, 301 of the first round. In fact, he's he's finished everything. As a professional, he has finished nine. He's fun, all nine of his wins have been inside the distance. Only one of them was made to the third. One of them made to the second. Seven of them inside of the first round. Sorry, six of them inside of the first round. Two in the second. This is a finishing machine. But Garrett Armfield did actually fight him to a decision as an amateur. Garrett Armfield also has never been knocked out. So. And maybe he just takes the beat in standing. And if he does take the beat in standing, you probably get a good price tag. I bet you on Onama by decision, just because it's, it's never actually happened as a pro, right? Well, the over so the bookie, the bookie might get caught slipping on that one. People and you are, might be able to take advantage. People are jamming money at the under. So there is actually, sorry, there's an over under two and a half rounds that, uh, that opened up at plus plus one twenty. It's already at mine or already at plus one fifty. So people are jamming the under because they don't know, I mean, they see David Onama won in the first round last time out against Gabriel Mowgli Benitez. They have no idea. I mean, people people aren't taping Garrett Armfield that fast. They're just jamming it, hoping that that it's right. So if you like that over, that could be a real spicy proposition. Breaking news, Cody. We mentioned him on the show. Max Roshkoff signs with Bellator. Good move. Good move. Good move. All the belts. Really All the belts him. to Max. I don't I don't know. Max not getting no belts, but he's better than the quitter reputation that he has for sure. You know Bro. what? People always they always praise, oh man, high ring IQ, high ring IQ. This guy had high enough ring IQ to realize sitting on his corner, I'm gonna get my ass kicked if I go back out there. Might as well just go home right now. People call it the coward's way out. But you remember how that fight was going. What good would fighting the third round? So people could say, damn, dude, that guy's brave. He's got heart. It's like he's 24. Give him a cut of a break. I'm just Bellator, pulling up the Bellator, Bellator, big, uh, Bellator lightweight rankings. Where are these? Let's see. Oh, yeah, these guys are dead. Patricia Pitbull, he's a 145-er. No chance. 
Yeah, you know what? It's a weak ass division because you got isn't Patricky's the champion at one fifty five? Patricky, yeah, and then he's, Sydney he's, he's Outlaw, no Peter Henderson's like a two time title challenger. I mean, Usman Nurmagomedov, that's gonna be a problem. You're not Usman gonna, probably takes Rosekoff's game's Ruskoff not gonna bear. work yeah. against uh, somebody with the last name Nurmagomedov, so that one that could be tricky. But uh, Max, Max is back, baby. Let's go. Just excited. Yeah, about sounds that. good. All right. I think we talked for about two hours here. So I think uh, probably good time to wrap it up. I'm only on Trishan Gore. I got him at minus 110. I wouldn't <laughs> go over minus 150. Yeah. Um, as the week goes on, as weigh-ins happen, obviously on Saturday, I'll post my uh, – as I kind of dig through some props and all of that. But on Saturday, as always, I will post my entire card. I think it's going to be a pretty light card this week because I'm not entirely confident on too many things. Obviously – Prize picks, I already went, you know, go back a minute or so. I had uh, probably five minutes or so. I gave all of my prize picks. Uh, go place. to 140, 46 of this show. 140, and you will find 46 of this show. And you'll have the five picks that I had. Uh, use promo code DOP when you sign up for a match bonus up to $100. Cody, hit them with the PRP. All right, hit him with the PRP. We're going to go with Rafael Faziv. We're going to go with Kale Barahal, uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov, Jared Vander. Don't really love that one. Jamie Malarkey, Nina Nunes, dog number one, Ricky Trusios, Antonina Shevchenko, Trejan Gore, Carl Roberson, dog number two. Carl Roberson, for the record, he's at uh, Glory MMA and Fitness with James Krause now. So if anybody's going to help a guy with terrible ring IQ, hopefully James Krause. That'll be dog number two. We're going to go with Ronnie Lawrence and David Onama. So it's a 12 fight card. We're going rocking with two underdogs. That doesn't seem like enough. This could be a very greasy card. Maybe the kind of one you want to stay away from. But that being said, last week's card looked super greasy as well. Like, what was the second line? The second line was Ian Gary and Sean O'Malley. Like, really? really? Because you had to. What else did you like on the card, right? Lawler was the apple pie shitter. He blew the top four tickets, but or he blew, you know, three and four ticket. One and two got to buy it. But it's the same thing. It's like sometimes you got to take a little bit of risk there in this case it's like uh, two underdogs they're both greasy you know you made excellent points with a couple of these other ones michael johnson would be considered a live underdog chase sherman could be considered a live underdog um yeah yeah saeed kakramanov i suppose i do really like ronnie lawrence anyways wait till wins you'll get your final little bit of information mm -hmm. but for the time being yeah those are the guys that I am going to go with. And maybe this is a card that you attack on a props perspective. So if that's the case, I will be doing a prop show tomorrow. But uh yeah, yeah, you don't 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 feel the need to give back all your bankroll from last week to this card because it is greasy. I think we can all admit that. Um but yeah, I mean no risk, no reward, right? Sometimes we shine on these cards. A lot of these lower end cards too, I feel like weigh-ins matter more. Because you have, like, people yeah. who don't have, like, nutritionists and so on and so forth. You know, they can't afford them at this stage in their career. Uh, you know, Cynthia Calvillo, she's a massive, massive red flag when it comes into weigh-ins. Like, she's looked like she was about to die multiple times on the scale. Like, I think watching the weigh-ins this week is going to be pretty important for me. Figuring out, uh, you know, where to go with my money. 
So yeah, only only yeah. go only gore so far, but uh, I'll end up with more. And yeah, last week I thought the the card looked pretty dicey, but it always happens to me. I'm sure it happens to you too, where it's just like I get over invested because it's a pay per view. I don't, you mm. know, because there's a little bit of hype in the air and just you know money starts getting splashed around this way and that. So got to be a little bit more. Um, you know, I didn't need to have like seven, eight plays last week, you know, four or five would have sufficed for how I play my game. Pat. I got the prize picks. Hmm. Oh, prize picks, Pat. Prize picks, Pat coming at you. Let's go. So I, obviously I know nothing about uh, MMA. I listen to you guys. That's how I know things. So I've been listening to these fights. So what I think I'm going to do is we hit the five to one on the three pick power play last week. So that's going to be the standard, I think. Not necessarily winning every week, but trying to get that five to one on the three play. So these are the three that I went with. It's already in. You can't talk me off of it. I'm gonna I'm gonna tail you. So let's hear it. Roberson under one point five takedowns. All right. Cynthia Calvillo under sixty and a half significant strikes, and your boy Jared Vendera. Over 51 and a half significant strikes. 100 bucks pays 500 bucks. Pretty good. I'm going to put 50 on it. Okay. Well, it's or, yours. Or, or I did play actually two. I played that one and I did the five play flex play. So if you get all five right, it's 10 to one. You get four out of the five right, it's two to one. Like you said, if, you, if three of the five hit, I get 40 bucks back. Whatever. Not, not looking to get the so 40 bucks. It's a power bucks, play. It's a, no, this. This is a The first one was a power play. Yeah, the first one's a power play. You gotta hit all three. So yeah. it has the same three ones on there, but Ronnie Lawrence over three and a half takedowns and Cody's boy Turcos over eighty and a half significant strikes. Yeah, I don't hate that. I think Tercios over the only question is whether like Zahabi just like Zahabi has when he catches people. I like, may have missed heard what Cody said, but I think he said this guy lost a Robin Black, so I just went with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's basically what basically I did what say. happened. If you go through MMA math, Robin has defeated a guy that Eamon has also defeated. Therefore, Robin basically kicked the shit out of Eamon Zahabi. Is that the kind of money you want to put on a guy? No. No. Shout out to my boy Robin. Good guy. Eamon, not so much a good guy. Anyways, that's for a different story for a different day. Hopefully, Robbie Lawler doesn't uh, shit in the apple pie because that, that was the one that hurt last week. Like, not only just he was on the parlays, but yeah, I went with some greasy tickets too. And like, I had Macy Barber by decision plus 145, uh, Machado by decision plus 200, Jim Miller inside the distance, uh, Sean O'Malley by decision, which I ended up getting a push on. And then I had Robbie by decision and Volkanovsky by decision. 250 bucks paid like 20 grand. <laughs> and so I would have got the push on Sean O'Malley. Robbie blew it. So sometimes like you're saying, it's a pay-per-view. So why did I have six people on that ticket? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Bodog caps off your props parlays at six. <laughs> so I just, I, I jammed it to six. Why did I do that? Why did I make it a five or a four? Pay less money. Pay-per-view. Got the energies rolling. This is a, a fight night. It's the burnout effect that you got the hangover after the pay-per-view. You get this card. This is a fun card. This is an exciting card. Low level, chocked full of. That's why I like to shit in people. You see when you start going like ten out of twelve underdogs or t- ten out of twelve favorites could be a dicey proposition. Yeah, it's like Kenny and Jaku pie shitter, Robertson pie shitter, right? Brother Gore, Gore could good. be a pie Trajan shitter. Gore could be a pie shitter. Shevchenko and Courtney Casey, neither can wrestle. Both have been pie shitters. Amazon Hobby never throws anything, and yet 
could still potentially actually beat Ricky Terzios. Nunez versus Calvillo, who knows if either of them want to be in there. Mm-hmm. Red flags everywhere. Did I say red flags? I actually said Michael Johnson. Same thing. Red flag city. <laughs> Jared Vandra, Chase Sherman. Like, what is going on here? And then even kicking it off with, like, Raphael Fazeev had a greasy fight with Bobby Green, you know? And uh, I don't know. There's just a lot of... Yeah. A lot of like, I mean, it took do, two is hours. This the guy that's going to take me to the land of milk and honey? Like, I don't know. I don't know, but I want to go so bad. So, yo, take chances. You probably should. It took two hours for us to get through it, but we finally showed a little bit of honesty by saying how much of a red flag most of this card is. It should be entertaining. <laughs> it's definitely. Um, hopefully, it's profitable and uh, we'll get back up on the right track. But that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Prize Picks, Pat and Cody Saftik, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.